power on. Accessing historical database. Year 2020. The tech giants become aware of the greatest threat to their corporatist domination. An obscure science and tech podcast becomes a major factor in a peaceful open source revolt against the military Silicon Valley industrial complex. The podcast, Sovereign Tech. Its host, Dr. Brian Sovereign. The tech giants try to stop Sovereign Tech. They can't. Woo, it is time for that weekly dose, that weekly injection of Sovereign Tech. Straight to the heart. Whoa, straight to, hey, is that a, wait, how many bands have that song like that has a song titled straight to the heart? <laughs> Too many to count. Battle beast at least. At I mean, least. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and certainly that might be the best of the bunch. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure someone would argue with us otherwise, but uh, as you can tell by the sound of that incredibly melodious, stunning voice, I am being joined by none other than Ellen sovereign for this episode of sovereign tech. Woo. Built to last. Built to last. And your instant action. See, we're just taking <laughs> sayings from products and applying it to ourselves. And I think it works really well. No, it does. It does. I, I like instant action. I, I like that. I, I actually, I use that, 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 that phrase, not instant action, but all action. I use that a lot when I'm promoting the show because I do think it's a very exciting show. I, I don't know about you. But yeah, I totally agree. I yeah, think I mean, you're very exciting. That's, that's <laughs> why you fell in love with me, right? No. Yes. <laughs> I heard your voice. Coming through my my headphones and right I just knew that I, I had to find you. Yeah, this is what it had to be. <laughs> well, anyway, my love, uh, we have a great episode of Sovereign Tech to get into. In fact, something that happened just hours before we were to record. Um, and that has to do with Twitter. That is coming up. But before we get into that, why don't we talk about... I was half tempted to talk about penguins and, and Oh, and, that story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. As <laughs> a total non sequitur. <laughs> yeah. And how they can, how far can they poop? Six feet. At six least. feet. They're they can projectile. They can project their, their shit six feet. Yeah. Well, it, apparently it's important to them given the landscape that they live on. That is amazing. Well, I imagine a lot of the blue check marks on Twitter were suddenly shitting six feet. But uh, <laughs> maybe we'll talk about that story more uh, at some point. I don't know if we'll get into this episode, but, you know, we're just going to have to have a on again, I guess. Yeah, uh, I, that, you know, it's terrible. We have too many things to talk about. It's such a predicament. Oh, what the a shame. The only thing that we can do is just record more together. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but the people love it. So, uh, in fact, actually, right now, the highest listened to episode in the past month 
is what did I title it? Sex in the Sea Orbiter. Oh that's yeah, the last one you were on. Yeah. Uh, by a long shot. Wow, so people, that's great. Yeah, people clearly love it when you're on. I, I can't blame them. I mean, there's a reason I've over the years that I made you a co-host along, you know, some years ago, and what a great time that was. I mean, it's just because you deliver the goods. Well, thank you. I'm so honored that you plebes would listen to me. <laughs> Ooh, hey. Wow, there it is. Folks. I'm just kidding. I know all of your listeners are brilliant. <laughs> just, you know, this is the problem. Wonder Woman gets tied up in her own lasso of truth. And no. <laughs> anyway, um, now, you know, but before we talk about any of that other stuff, uh, it's been a bit of a tradition lately when you've come on that we end up talking about uh, we talk about the books that we're reading or listening to perhaps more particularly, or one or the other, you know, I mean, it's all kind of the same kind of, I have had conversations where I've said, yeah, I don't know if, re- if listening to books is, is such a hot thing. Um, you know, maybe, you know, we reading books might have a little more benefit to it. I'll, I'll say this, that we were having this conversation earlier. You were actually, so a couple of weeks ago, we were going to the gym and you had asked me, you said, you know, I'd love to get my hands on a, on an encyclopedia set, like a like yeah, a, real, a real solid, honest to say, twenty encyclopedia volume set. encyclopedia set. Yeah, you know, the Encyclopedia Britannica, World Book, whatever. You know, whoever's making them now. I think there's a bunch of them that have kind of gone by the wayside as late. Um, and in so do, when when you asked that question, you know, I was I started looking into it. It's like, okay, let's see if we can get our hands on you know whatever version of Encyclopedia Britannica. And I know instantly what people are thinking is that, well, but we have Wikipedia. What do we need that for? Well, many reasons. Yes. Many reasons. Of which we will divulge to you over the next two hours. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one thing that, so, I mean, so what I found out in researching this is that Encyclopedia Britannica has not published in the Western world, as it were, since 2010. That's so sad. Yeah. They They don't have any people to buy their product anymore. Right. Nobody wants to read the encyclopedias. Yeah. Yeah. So it's crazy. And now they did come out with one of their their final yearbook, which I think was celebrating like the 250th anniversary of Encyclopedia Britannica becoming a thing. The yearbook is always like this add on that you get every year that might have like important info in it or whatever else. And it was a great way to not have to buy a new encyclopedia set every year. Okay. And, and you could just buy that book and it would kind of update it. And then maybe in five, 10 years, you'd buy another big set, right? Because these things usually cost like a thousand dollars or some crazy amount. Even back when I was a kid, we always had an encyclopedia set, but it was, I know it it cost a mint. That's for sure. That's why people held on to them. Even if they were 50 years old, that shit wasn't cheap. right? Yeah. Because it's like all the gathered knowledge of our civilization. Or a good shot at it. Good stab at it, you know? And, and I get it that we are in a world where talk about, you know, not to, not to, uh, not to quote a book out of the Bible, but is knowledge increasing at an accelerated pace faster than it ever has in least modern recorded human history. Yeah. You bet your ass it is. But at the same time, uh, as soon as you said it, something just struck in me like, yeah, this is a good idea. Now, I did find out that in 2016, they still had an edition of Encyclopedia Britannica come out, but it's produced in India and it's called the Global Edition. It is in English, but it's called the Global Edition, uh, I guess, to service other countries, perhaps that don't have so much Internet access. World Book still produces an encyclopedia. They have a 2020 edition and so on, and they they obviously hang their hat on the fact that they're kind of the last man standing 
um, in this whole scenario. Right. So anyway, it was an interesting thing and part, well, you tell me what inspired you to want an encyclopedia. Well, initially what made me want it was just to have a physical book because whenever I get on Wikipedia, um, there's just so many things that I want to learn about, Mm -hmm. uh, that sometimes I just draw a blank and I'm sitting there at, like staring at the search bar like what do I type in? Right. But with an encyclopedia you can just open it up and you can look through the appendix or you can just flip through pages. And there's and, visual aids. Yeah, and, exactly. And, uh, uh, yeah, I mean there's visual things to entice you. It's a yeah. very permanent record of things that we know or have happened or right. just that are. And uh, that to, I, I just love that. I love being able to explore so much in a book. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that came up for me was that, and this is what started me talking about this here, is that books, the need for paperback or, you know, paper books, right? Dead tree books. The need for that is that online and electronically in general, except for maybe a PDF, but even then I wonder, information can change. Now that can be a beneficial thing, certainly, right? Like, I mean, that can be a good thing because you get the latest info. But then also in the present world that we live in, you know, where a lot of news has a bent and not to say that an encyclopedia couldn't have a bias either. Okay. Sure. And, and I mean, the Britannica has a, has a very interesting history of where, you know, people have called it out saying it was wrong, but it's, there's actually a point to this, but bottom line being is that an encyclopedia, you know, a paper a paperback, I'll just call it that. I know it's hardcover, but a paperback, a paper version of an encyclopedia. I mean, when it's printed, it's printed and that information is there. And no matter what Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates or take your list of the celebrity or, you know, thought leader or thought controller, I'm sorry, uh, you know, wants to do about it. They can't change it. It is there in effectually stone. And I think that this is really important when all of our information is going digital And we also hand off control of that data uh, on the daily basis and trust others with it, you know, be it in cloud environments and whatever else. There there was actually an episode of SG-1. I've brought it up before. I won't spend a ton of time talking about it, but there's an episode of SG-1 that that deals with this very thing where like basically the, you know, everybody was jacked into the central computer on this other planet and the planet could erase their memories and make them even forget that some people existed. And the only way that they knew that people previously existed, the SG one team is because they found books, you know, hardback books that said, no, originally your population was this big. It wasn't this small, the computer's lying to you and so on. And so I think it's such an important thing. And that's really it is why I think we always need printed books is because I mean, and, and this actually, honestly, admittedly, I should say admittedly, this also happened with printed books. If you ever read Fahrenheit 451, and if you read Ray Bradbury's, I think it's his coda, it's, it's at the end of it, he talks about how he found out that varying authors, that publishing houses, to bring down the cost of their books, had literally been stripping sentences out of, uh, I mean, all kinds of people, uh, Virgil, you know, I mean, like, I mean, classic authors, you know, I mean, editions and edits are a thing, but that's the point is that, you know, let's have all those editions. Let's keep them printing. You want to make changes to them? Fine. But let's hope that we keep, you know, the somewhat of the originals of the autographs at any given point. So books, holding books in your hand, reading books is so important, especially today when 
No, I, I mean, I'm not one who's going to cry that it was the Russians or fake news or any of that kind of shit. Okay. I mean, I would argue that pretty much anything that comes out of the mouths of journalists is more or less fake, more or less, uh, <laughs> if, as far as when it comes to politics and things like that. I mean, certainly I, I exist off of a lot of what journalists, you know, the research that they do and so on, but I also exist off of calling bullshit on it often enough. Um, but that information changes and, you know, it's very easy to, to find yourself wondering what the fuck is real, you know? And, and while again, you know, I mean, it's funny when Britannica first came out in the 18th century, it was critics called it the gospel of Satan, which is so appropriate because Lucifer is the bringer of light. Of yeah. Knowledge. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And doctors were flipping out because it was giving information, it had information in it that only doctors had at the time. It undermined and, their authority. Exactly. Yes. And that is so key because guess what, folks, as much as you like to think how, oh, I wonder, and look, the internet is a powerful thing. But as much as you think, you know, that, that, Ooh, what a wonder, what wonders it has brought us at the same time, it's really given us a lot of lack of control of information in a very real way. Uh, so, you know, having the good old fashioned copy of the encyclopedia. Yeah. I think that's a damn beautiful thing. And what a wonderful idea. It really is. And you can look at it all day and it won't make your eyes hurt. That's another beauty. In fact, that'd be a great <laughs> segue into a story we're going to get into, but we'll save that because we're talking about books. So why don't we go ahead and let's talk about the books that we're actually uh, listening? Because people, I mean, they just, they love it. In fact, someone was already asking for, hey, does anybody have a copy of this? Uh, or you were reading, or you were listening to the introduction to uh, to Judaism by Shai Cherry. Right. Uh, by the, for the great courses. And I already had people asking, hey, can I, can we get copies of that? Or where can I find this? And all <laughs> great. That? So people love it when we do this. So before we get into other tech news and science news, why don't we go ahead and, and talk about what books we're reading? You want to start it off or do you want me to, to hit it? Oh, sure. I can start it off. Go for it. Okay. Um, so the books that I wanted to talk about, I actually finished listening to them about a month ago. Mm -hmm. um, so initially what sparked my interest in the books that I'm going to talk about was uh, when I went to visit my family a few months back, um, I was talking to my great grandfather. He's like the, the elder in our family. And he said something about how like he traced our lineage back to Pontiac this great Native American warrior. And I was so curious because I barely know anything about Native Americans, but for him to say that, like, that's part of my history, uh, it, it kind of sparked my interest. And I'm not going to go down the road of, like, what that means to me or anything, but uh, it's a part of history that I think has been widely erased. And or ignored. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's be clear here. Most people don't know a whole lot about Native American history. Well, it's certainly not taught in public school. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, me personally, I had, I, I fortunately, and I do consider it a benefit. I did have the benefit of having uh, two of my best friends when I was a teenager were um, the sons of the head of the United Six Nations, you know? Uh, so like I, I have some understanding of the Iroquois, but that's the thing is it's not, you know, it's not a homogeneous thing, right? Like, I mean, no, there, no, there's so many different uh, tribes and, and yeah. Anyway, yeah. Continue. And all of the tribes functioned independently as separate nations. Mm -hmm. um, even if you were like part, if even if you were a Chippewa, for example. Right. Um, and your two tribes coexisted within the same like 100 mile span of mm -hmm. each other. Uh, that doesn't like you might trade with each other, but like the politics and the governing of each tribe happened completely independently. Yeah. And all Native Americans were essentially like that, um, at least in the northern part of the United States. Right. Um, 
So anyway, I, I became very interested and I just looked to see what was on uh, what was in the bookstore as far as audiobooks for, uh, you know, Native American Chippewa history. Mm-hmm. And I came up with a few books from Charles River editors and they're a couple hours long each. Uh, they're about Pontiac's War, Little Turtles War, and uh, I think it was King King James or King Charles. I don't I don't remember exactly, but it was like a Native American who was named a king, uh, but he mm-hmm. wasn't actually a king. It was right. just sort of like a title that he, was given to him by the settlers. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I learned so much about like what Chippewa are, their origin story, where they came from. And mostly uh, what was talked about was the struggle that Chippewa had uh, after they came into contact with people from Europe. Uh, Like the French were mostly friendly. They traded with them, but they essentially introduced like guns to a Stone Age population. Um, And then, you know, England was sending people over here and they had vested interests and were trying to like get in on the fur trade because it was actually much more lucrative than what they initially came here for. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, just lots of tragedy happened throughout their their history, and it had mostly to do with these tribes being caught up in battles that the Europeans were waging against, or the, the British were waging against the French. Right. Uh, and the natives were generally just pawns in, in those battles. Um, and that in itself decimated a lot of the population. Um, and that's, that's kind of what Pontiac is famous for. Uh, he, he kind of led this charge against Fort Detroit, um, or back then it would have been pronounced in the French way, Detroit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but he united the Chippewa nation against, um, the British taking the fort from the French. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is a, this is I almost, it's not, I don't even want to call it a byproduct. It, I, I mean, I guess it's a byproduct because I think most wars are fought between, you know, two major powers generally, because otherwise, you know, it's not really a war, it's a slaughter. You know, if the other side isn't like yeah. somehow equal to the task, as it were, there is generally some minority or population unrelated that ends up getting stuck in the middle. Uh, you see it in the history of the Jews. Um, you see it in the history of blacks. You see it in the history of, again, the, you know, like you mentioned, the Native Americans. This happens often with Arabs um, to this day. I mean, there's always some minority population that's going to pay the price. It, see, it just seems to always happen with every single war. Um, but because they're a minority population, I guess nobody, generally nobody seems to care, you know, unfortunately. Uh, so... Anyway, yeah, that, I mean, it just adds to that tragic history, you know, of, of, of war. But uh, go ahead. if you have Yeah, it. no, that's it's definitely true. Um, in these audiobooks, they talk about uh, some of the specific battles that happened. Mm-hmm. And it's it really is tragic because you're it, well, at least for me, the experience was the Native Americans initially had all of North America to roam around and. Uh, essentially lived the most peaceful lifestyle. They right. were just hunters and gatherers. Um, there was, like, in hunting areas, there were generally five or six people in, like, 100 square miles of land, mm-hmm. which is crazy to think about now. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But yeah, they they would they were transitory as well. You know, they would stay in one place for a few months and then move on. Um, and they really knew how to live in harmony with the land and, and what they needed. Uh, and then, you know, British settlers came and um, started changing all that. The sure. Natives were selling their land off because they didn't have anything else really to trade with after they had practically wiped out all of the fur trade in the northern hemisphere because they just hunted all the animals practically to extinction. Right. Um, yeah, well, and then and then there were also the battles and you know smallpox and other illnesses coming from a population that they had never been previously introduced to. Um, so yeah, it was just it was kind of horrifying to to learn about this really because you're going from like practically utopia to like slowly decimating the population in the most tragic and bitter ways. Yeah, I mean, tell me if you think this is fair. So. I mean, a lot of those deals that the Native Americans all around the country were making with, you know, whatever settlers happened to come. Uh, I, I don't think it's unfair to call them invaders, quite frankly, but regardless. Some of them were, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know the French seem to have a better relationship with the Native Americans than the English did by a yeah. long shot, right? Well, once once the United States became a, a country, you know, mm-hmm. once the Revolutionary War happened and, and the United States gained its independence, mm-hmm. then they became the real terrorists against the Native Americans. Right. The United, you're saying the Americans. Yes. Yeah, the, like the United States, America, the yeah, colonials. Right. Sure. They had the, the expansionist ideals and, and they were, um, they didn't, they didn't understand that the Natives were allowing the the British and mm-hmm. the French to stay on their land, um, but when you know when the British lost, they basically ceded all of their land to the United States. So the United States was expecting that the natives would give them their land as well, but that wasn't the it wasn't theirs to give in the first place. Well, yeah, and and you're you're hitting at the point that I'm wondering about. So English, the language, is a mercantile very harsh it has concepts built within it there's a reason that it became that in our you know in our century or even in the 20th century that it basically became like the lingua of trade you know it became the language of trade and that's because at its heart it is mercantile like it it has concepts of property and other things and i'm not saying that it's right i'm just saying that it has those concepts very much built into it this is true for any language other languages have concepts built into them um I mean, you have entire languages around the world that don't have the conjugate to be, you know, and that changes the way one thinks because not everything has necessarily a definitive, uh, shall we say, perspective. I, w- I would imagine that the Native Americans, when they made these deals, they could not, and it's not because they're inferior, far from, okay, far from, they could not grasp the way that the, that the English say, or, who, you know, any Europeans coming over thought because in their language, these notions of ownership or that, no, this automatically goes to me. What, you know, it's grandfathered in guys. And it's like, what's a grandfather? What the fuck are you talking about? You know, like, I mean, I could kind of just imagine my point being is that, you know, like, like there was just something lost in translation and that's putting it mildly. And I mean, do, do you feel like the book, it sounds like it did. Do you feel like these books in any way kind of illustrated that notion? Uh, I I think if you spend some time reflecting on what happened, then certainly you could come to that conclusion. Mm -hmm. Because um, 
at least in the New England area, the natives, uh, they were selling land to the settlers. Right. But I don't think they really had a good idea of what property meant. What ownership meant. Yes. Right. Because very soon they ended up barely having any. Mm -hmm. uh, And it caused a lot of problems between the natives and the settlers. Um, And it actually was part of what fomented uh, one of one of the major wars that happened between the settlers and the Native Americans. Right. Yeah. I, I just I feel like when often when we look at history, we anthropomorphize a lot, not just anthropomorphizes in the sense that, I don't know, we make tigers act or imagine that they act like humans or like that wolves act like humans and they get married or something. It's like, no, it's a fucking wolf. It doesn't get married. Uh, you, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. The I native Americans never built walls. They right. didn't have like property lines. Right. So like the concept of like putting up a wall to keep out the cattle of your neighbors from trampling your crops. They didn't know anything about that. They yeah. like, it was just to uh, the, the earth owned itself. Yes. Right. The land owns itself. Yeah. So a lot of, I mean, I just, I feel like a lot of our problems and when we look back at history and we're going, wow, what were they doing? You know, why did they allow this? Why did they do this and everything? We anthropomorphize our own, even just our own linguistic nature onto other peoples that didn't, that don't have our language. Like, I mean, there's an old, I've brought the saying up many times in the show. There's an old saying. I learned it when I was in the military and I was learning Farsi is that when you learn another language, you gain another soul. The concept, what that means is, is that you literally learn in a, a completely new way to think. And we don't grasp that about each other often enough. You know, sometimes people do. Like, I think Reagan came out at one point in his diaries and said, if I understood, if I understood how the Iranians thought, I would have never went to, you know, Iran-Contra would have never happened on our end or whatever. You know, point being is that, like, most of us just don't want to accept that there are different ways of thinking and worse. Most of us don't want to accept maybe our way of thinking is wrong. And that that's where, that's where people suddenly stop as soon as you bring up this, this whole notion. Right. Right. The unfortunate thing is like, I think the natives lived a very wonderful life in many ways, Mm -hmm. but they were overtaken by this ideology i'm not going to say it was superior but it was certainly dominant it was dominant and different yes yes yeah i agree i agree and and i don't think we pay enough attention to that and it's not until you read the horrors that went down you know that happened which is what you did um well anyway i hope when if others read these books i hope that they stop to think like how did this even happen and then go that far to say you know, it's the way like that, even my, my, my meta talk, myself, not meta talk, but my, um, my self talk, you know, could, could have even you know, brought that on or their self talk, the colonials, the English at the time, whoever, uh, and so on. So anyway, um, what else you, I mean, do you, you got more on that or what else are you reading? Um, I guess I just want to say like, I, I, I've talked to other people who have native ancestors and they've like gone down the same road that I have. Yeah. Um, and they just don't want to think about it. Because it really is terrible. And and honestly, if you read the history mm. true to its form, um, the natives weren't like the good guys. And neither were the British or the French. Sure. Like everyone did something wrong. Plenty of ugliness on all sides. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if, if the, the fighting hadn't begun in the first place, I think um, we would live in a very different world now. Than right. 
than what we have. <laughs> yeah. No, there you go. There so, you go. Yeah, that's that's what I've got. Yeah. Um, okay. I don't want to spend too long talking about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we've got other things we'll get into. But yeah, yeah. I'd love to hear what books you're listening to. Or uh, reading. Well, I finally and I talked about this last time you're on, because a lot of times I read books out of utility, like out of a necessity. And right. uh, admittedly, that's an annoying thing. Audiobooks certainly help with that affair. Um, because I can do so very quickly. I mean, I can easily, hell, there's books I could listen to two books in a day, you know, um, while I'm working and whatever. I mean, if I, if I really, you know, put the task on it, but it's important also to stop and chew, you know, what you're digesting uh, as, as far as content goes. And uh, I've been reading, in fact, you turned me on. Well, you do that all the time. <laughs> I <but> do. <laughs> <laughs> you do that like all day you long. You can't hide it. No, I, no, I can't. <laughs> Ooh, um, it's amazing we're doing this podcast. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> uh, um, if they only knew how close we were sitting to each other here. So anyway, <laughs> we're, we're sharing a mic, folks. Uh, so if at any point we sound kind of far away, it's because we're, again, we're, yeah, we're, we're sharing a mic here in the studio. But uh, yeah, um, so you turned me on to this. And it is uh, books. It's The Courage to Be Disliked. I was so excited when you started reading this. Yeah. And, and I read the sequel too, because that book was wildly popular. Uh, it's by uh, uh, a couple of uh, Japanese uh, uh, people. And the other one is a sequel to it, which is uh, the courage to be happy. Um, and these are both books that are trying to condense and reintroduce the philosophy uh, or and the psychology. psychology. Yep. It's a psychology and philosophy. Yeah, yeah. Of Robert Adler, or I'm sorry, Alfred Adler. Uh, Alfred Adler, who is, was a contemporary of Jung, Freud, and so on, even friends at points. But then there's points where, much like Jung and Freud, people are very familiar with how they split off from each other wildly. Adler split off from them as well. Uh, these books are about, as far as audiobooks, are like six, are like six hours a piece. So lengthwise in a physical book, they wouldn't be too long, uh, in my opinion, as far as that goes, or at least I wouldn't define that as long, but you really got to take these babies in. Um, it is not something I could possibly describe in five minutes here or even 20 minutes or even two hours. But what I heard, I liked perhaps the most controversial thing, and I'll put it out there to entice people to read this is that Adler believed there was no such thing as trauma. And he felt that he could prove it. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. And I think he makes a hell of a case. And I agree. Yeah. As someone who's been through traumatic events. Um, As he, we all have. Yeah. He convinced me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was, I mean, I was shocked or not necessarily shocked. Like, oh, I can't believe he's saying this. More shocked that a lot of what he was saying, I feel like plays off very well off of Nietzsche. I think it plays very well off of Max Stirner. I think that there are a lot of uh, schools of thought, I'll say, that I was already into that he plays very well in with. Not to say that he doesn't bring very unique things to the table. He most certainly does. And he has, as you discover in the second book, he really has a central focus on the concept of love, which I think is, you know, any philosopher that doesn't see that, or, 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 you know, or someone espousing psychology, uh, I think is going to be off the mark. You, you can't help it, but be off the mark. I think if you don't see that as like the, one of the central points, if not the central point of existence. 
Certainly um, a driving force for many psychological phenomena. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now, again, these are just these two books do a reintroduction of Adler's work. And again, they do try to condense it a bit. I still have I have I have many questions. Like there are strange things that get laid out in this book. In fact, speaking of strange, so the the one it, it's done as a uh would you call that that's not a dialectic. It's done where It's a dialogue. It is a dialogue between an old man and a young boy. Right, which is similar to how, you know, Plato would write, you know, varying dialogues, you know, how Socrates would get passed down and so on. And and it's done that way on purpose. Okay. And I get it. Um, it does. I give it credit for not spending a lot of time on analogies because I really get annoyed when philosophers rely upon analogies. I get it that they can be useful, but proof by analogy is not proof. Um, in my opinion, and that's, I don't think that's just an opinion, but regardless, um, he, yeah, the, the, the narrator for, for the, the, the older guy is the same narrator that did the audiobook for um, Day of the Triffids by John Wyndham, which I reviewed a few episodes back on Sovereign Tech. And so that was really weird because all I'm thinking is post-apocalypse the whole time <laughs> that I'm listening to these books. And they're about this, you know, beautiful, real, ultimately beautiful stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do have questions. I think there are some unfortunate statements that get made in these books that I think need extrapolation. But before I, as it were, crucify Alfred Adler, I'm willing to dive deeper because what he does have to say is so wildly compelling. Yeah, I don't think there's any way you can crucify him. He really speaks truth to a lot of things that I sure. haven't heard many other philosophers or psychologists talk about. Yeah, I mean, and he also has a very strong stance against war, like we were just talking about. And I think that, I mean, just look up some of the quotes from him about war and, and you're just like, yeah, you know, I mean, if you can get that, you know, you're, that's another thing where you're on point, like, okay, you're interesting me. If you're, if you are claiming that war is inherently, I'll just say a terrible thing that should not be engaged with and is also not necessary. Uh, damn right. Let's go. What do you got? What else you got to say, daddy? You know, and, and I'm there. So yeah, those two books for Adler. I, I mean, I'll stop at those. I, I've been reading some other things that are, that are a little, perhaps a little even wilder, but, uh, but I'll stop with those two, uh, which was, yeah, very just fascinating reads um, yeah. and a lot to explore and stuff that I will probably end up integrating. Um, so I'll put that, put that. I have to say the most beautiful part of that book when I when I was reading The Courage to Be Disliked mm -hmm. was when uh, in the discussion between the, the man and the old man and the younger boy was that uh, he he started to describe what the title actually is. You know, the, right. What the courage to be disliked really means. Yes. And I felt so understood as a person when he was talking about that and the concept of freedom and how they relate. It is a powerful statement that base that, that directly gets made is that freedom is the courage to be disliked. Right. Because, like as social beings, we want to have loved ones. We want to have people mm -hmm. close to us, but we have to be ourselves. Right. And, and that's where I say that it fits in so well with like Nietzsche or Stirner in the idea that, you know, you can't have anything else. I mean, you can if you want, but you're not really you if anything else is really influ if anyone else or social pressures or mores or whatever are in any way influencing you. You have to have the courage 
to be despised in your own time. Otherwise, you're never going to taste real freedom. So again, I mean, brilliant guy, no doubt about that. Um, and even if I ever poke holes in any of his ideas, there's still wonderful things to pull from it. It's absolutely worthwhile. I think anybody, uh, or for anyone to, to read, I know you enjoyed it a lot. I mean, you, yes. are you, are you basically an Adlerian now? Are you, no. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm a follower, like a culty uh, mm -hmm. adherent or anything like that, but, uh, I certainly do love some of the things that he said and, I think they speak very well of his psychology and yeah. certainly makes me want to explore further. Um, and after I listened to it, I was just, I was gleaming. I was so happy. I, was I like, noticed. Yeah. It was such a beautiful book. Yeah. I mean, that that's part of what inspired me to like, okay, I, I gotta, I gotta read this. I gotta know. Uh, so yeah, brilliant stuff. Uh, and no matter if you disagree with it or not, I mean, I, I really think you're going to get something out of reading. And again, they're not long. Uh, you will get something out of reading these. And apparently it is, they are, these books are repopularizing Adler's ideas. Um, and anytime you can, you know, re well, get people thinking, even at those core levels, again, only a good thing in, in my book. So anyway, um, I think we'll take a little break. Sounds good. Then we'll come back and we will, uh, we'll talk about what's happening on the bird app. <laughs> well you'll talk about it yeah well we'll, we'll have a conversation around it and then actually you've got a great story we're going to get into that as well and then we'll talk about some fun stuff towards the end of the show we'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech Woo! hey is Sovereign Tech not enough for you? Well, let me tell you about something you'll never get enough of. No, no, I mean it. We're talking about a radio show and podcast that goes all night long, seven nights a week, three hours a night, 365 days a year, and has been going since the early aughts, baby. I am talking about none other than Free Talk Live. It's the show you control. That's right. It's an open phones call-in show that is ready for you. And if you're worried that your voice isn't going to get heard, don't be. We are talking about the only libertarian radio show stateside, and not only that, it's also the number 26 talk show in the United States. Start listening now and go ahead and hit that massive back catalog at freetalklive.com. The Golden Stallion guarantees a good time, and you might even find some episodes with me on them when you do. That's freetalklive.com, and we thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Let's get back to the show. The main story. Ooh, so it was, uh, let's see, we, we, we're getting in a home workout earlier today. Yeah, just a few short hours ago. Yeah, it was about, I want to say it was, because I, I, when I saw it, I noted the time, okay, what, what, what we're about to talk about here with the old Twitter. Now I am, I am active on Twitter. It's the only like social platform that I can basically stomach. And even that really barely, uh, I mean, I like engaging with people in the sovereign tech telegram group. I, you know, I have a good time with that cause it's a lot more personable and personal 
and I don't have to deal with uh, the blue check marks, as it were, which that's, you know, if you're like famous, you get a blue check mark, right? You're verified or whatever. And usually those people aren't worth following. Um, <laughs> and you like reading things that make you angry. And you talk about them to me afterwards I, I, uh, <laughs> because I don't have a Twitter account. <laughs> <laughs> well, so here's the thing. And I've made this argument in the past that, I mean, Twitter has become like, like this is where news happens. This is where, I mean, tweets that get made, especially by the blue check marks are about, and of course, really, these aren't valid either, but it's about as valid as anything being laid out on, you know, the 11 o'clock news, CNN, you know, or, you know, on whatever journalistic institution that pretends to matter. Um, I mean, it, it's become that important. That's true. It's a major media outlet. Yeah, right, right. I mean, and when you have basically, as I've said many times, when you have slap nuts in chief uh, or, you know, the, the orange guy in Washington, when you have him more or less setting foreign policy, you know, in 240 or in 250 characters, 80 characters, whatever it is um, on Twitter, you kind of got to pay attention to it. You mean, you don't have to, of course, you you can choose not to, and you're better out. You're probably a lot happier for it, but um, it is something to pay attention to. Right. Or you can just read it and say, that's the worst case of testosterone poisoning I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, anyway, (laughs) well done. Uh, What is that from? It's a, it's a quote from Babylon five. Yes. Right. It is from Babylon five. Side note. That's something else we just got done. <laughs> we just got done watching the long twilight struggle uh, close to the end of season two of Babylon five. Look, folks, I'm just going to say this because we're probably not going to get to a Babylon five ad in this episode. I haven't heard and I've watched many of a show and movie with Ellen and I have never heard her say what? Whoa. You know, and, <laughs> I was like so many times, the whole time. <laughs> especially with this episode, but over the series, just into two seasons, I mean, you've done that. You've reacted. I mean, you've almost gone to tears. I did. I cried. Folks. My heart was pounding. I couldn't help it. You people don't believe me that for over, that for the past almost decade that I've been saying this is the greatest show ever made. This is the greatest television show ever made, Babylon 5. Here it is. Okay. We've got, how old are you now? Do you want to say? Are you okay comfortable saying? Well, uh, in a month, I'll be 26. Right. Okay. So we've got a 26-year-old here, folks, who is saying that a show from 1993 is just tearing her apart in, in the most beautiful ways. Uh, yeah, I felt I felt crushed after this episode, actually. Yeah. Like, really, um, well, kind of heartbroken because it felt like the giant boot came down. Yeah. But, but there's, like, little, there's life growing in the cracks. I can see that. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, there it is. There's our ad for Battle on 5. Get fucking watching it, folks. If you haven't yet. <laughs> so, so uh, and, and how do you get your hands on it? Go ahead and power up those torrent clients, baby. Go for it. Um, unless you want to get that on glorious DVD. Of course, you can do that as well. Um, all right. So anyway, now that we're done with those side tangents, uh, <laughs> if you want, I could bleep out the, the age thing. But <laughs> well, most people say that it's impolite for a woman to share her age, or I guess women feel self-conscious about that or something, mm-hmm. but I don't. I feel like I've, I've worn my years. Well, absolutely. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And getting, getting, well, if I can say getting hotter by the fucking day, (laughs) holy shit. And, and of course, part of that is the workouts we were just mentioning, I think. Um, Yeah. Yeah, We pump iron together every day. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, so, you know, I get, 
on the Twitter, on the, on the bird app, the literal app, I do get notifications when certain people tweet. There are certain people because I don't really scroll through Twitter. I just, I know I, I get the idea of how to engage Twitter and keep your sanity a little more. And you do so by just, you know, uh, uh, having, getting notifications from the accounts that you're actually interested in. And so that's what I do. One of the people that I follow, uh, and this comes from actually this was set on Babylon five, but it's not really from Babylon five. Uh, you know, other humans said it previously. Uh, some people I follow under the auspices of you keep your friends close and your enemies closer. And yeah, of course. I right. mean, you want to hear what the most hated man in America has to say right. every day. Yeah, exactly. So there's that idiot. Um, I don't necessarily follow his cause you can kind of find out his by proxy. Uh, but well, that's how I feel about all of Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. And that's true for any news that actually matters. I just know you'll tell me. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm a journalist, so what am I going to do? Uh, and I also work in PR, so there we go. Uh, but anyway, I do follow Jeff Bezos and I do get notifications from Jeff Bezos. Um, Elon Musk, I did for a while. I couldn't anymore because it's just too dumb. Like, like, I mean, the things he has to say and really the things he comes up with, I mean, it's just, it's stupidity on a level that we haven't experienced, I think in some time, because it's stupidity that comes with some, uh, some fandom and real power, you know, uh, Anyway, not it's stupidity with a motor on it. Yeah, right. It's stupidity with a motor. I mean, yeah, you know, Chump is an idiot, right? <laughs> but like he has to have other people kind of do his shit. And there, there's other he doesn't actually like invent anything. He's just a parasite as to where. And I, I don't think Elon Musk invents anything either. But he's yeah, again, he's stupidity with a motor attached. And that is a very dangerous combination. Uh, not, I am not a fan. Uh, and he's welcome to come on the show and we can debate and, you know, I'm, I'm happy to <laughs> verbally rip him to shreds. He can even smoke a joint while he's in here. We don't care. Sure. No, it's fine. Yeah, go for it. I, I mean, and, and you know, it, the conversation might start with, OK, let's have a look at your tax records. How much did you steal from the, uh, you know, American public uh, to create what you have there that you're also like basically funding through pre-orders, you know, a glorified Kickstarter program, which is disgusting. So, you know, as, as far if he's this great businessman, I mean, anyway, sorry, I can, uh, I'm making jerking off motions with my hands. I got to stop. <laughs> We're going to talk about Twitter. All right. Stay on target. Stay on target. Thank you. Steady. Steady. <laughs> <laughs> We got into Jar Jar quote, man. We're, we're going, we're going full stupid right now. <laughs> you know, I don't think people would believe this. We, you and I, I think we quote Jar Jar to each other more than just about any other person, <laughs> any other character. Almost every day. Yeah. On a daily basis, we are quoting Jar Jar. It's just, we happen to find ourselves asking each other, like, are you ready or something? Or, you know, you know, and, um, <laughs> Usually I'll respond, Reddit, Reddit, <laughs> or steady, steady. And then, and <laughs> the other quote that we bring up often enough, I don't know if I want to say it. But <laughs> <laughs> you but we'll be say it. All right, all right, fine. Look, because the world is in such <laughs> shit. And Manu Jar Jar is such a naive character. Yeah, and, and he has that quote from episode one where he says to, uh, where he's talking to, to, to Queen Amidala. And he says, like, you used to think innocent people going to die, you know, <laughs> and she she responds with, I don't know, Jar Jar, you know, but every time I say it, I always respond with, oh, yes, yes, they are, Jar Jar. <laughs> 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 
any crisis that comes up, you know. <laughs> oh man, it's amazing how much how many Jar Jar quotes you can actually use in in real life. I think George Lucas might have been right. People will not understand episode one until 20 years later. And now we're finally starting to understand that film. But anyway, regardless, we're not here to talk about Star Wars. So <laughs> we are talking about uh, Amora. I mean, we're talking about Jeff Bezos, um, who is actually a shrewd businessman, who's not so much the the, the government welfare uh, uh, whore uh, <laughs> as, as uh, um, no disrespect to whores. No. Oh, no. I love Sex workers are real workers. Elon Musk is not. Um, I mean, I mean that. I say that with conviction. Sex works. Sex work is real work, folks. Um, so I'm not. I, I mean, no disrespect towards anything like that. But uh, you know, somebody who who takes so much tax dollars, uh, Jeff Bezos certainly isn't remotely as egregious as, as Elon Musk. Uh, as, as my as far as I understand. So anyway, Jeff Bezos made a tweet about Bitcoin. Turned out it was a lot more than Jeff Bezos that made this tweet. Now, when I went to, I saw the notification and in my, you know, in the Android notification bar or shelf, you can see, you can read the tweet. I'm like, wait, he's saying he's going to give away Bitcoin. Now there have been people recently, actually one of Twitter's co-founders, I think, who has been giving out Bitcoin. He really has, as far as I understand it. Just giving it away? Yeah. Just to get people on board with Bitcoin, you know, and and which damn right, you know, and he came out with some great statements like, uh, Hey, I'll take some Bitcoin. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, the thing is he also wanted to get people on board with like cash app, which I think is great too, because they're supportive of Bitcoin as well. Uh, and he would like, he's made statements that, well, you know, cash app is better than, um, and folks, if you want to see who and what I'm talking about, you can actually, of all things, go to my Twitter profile and, and I retweeted some of it. Um, but he's like, yeah, wow, Cash App so much better than PayPal, you know, and anybody that's anti-PayPal, like I'm fucking on board with that too, you know. So anyway, but Bezos was tweeting about giving away Bitcoin and about Bitcoin. Now he wants to give back to the community and blah, 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 blah. As soon as he was tweeting, as soon as he even mentioned Bitcoin, as if somehow it existed, right? Now, I mean, I'm super supportive of Bitcoin, but here's the thing is I have, I've talked about Bitcoin for about a decade now. And I have repeatedly said, and I've gotten so much shit from the Bitcoin community, but 10 years later, I'm still right that Amazon will never, ever deal in Bitcoin. They have no interest in it. They absolutely fucking not. If it doesn't come out of Labs123, they don't want to touch it. And so as soon as I saw the tweet of Bezos talking about Bitcoin, I'm like, no, his account got hacked. I mean, you I just, did, you said that, right, right. I mean, instantly it was a little around five o'clock between five and five fifteen that I saw it. And I instantly said it to you while we were working out. I think I was changing the song. I was putting on something different by uh, beast in black. Um, and oh, man of war or man of war. Yeah. We did listen to man of war as well. I mean, as you They're do, both awesome. Fuck yes. <laughs> you even wear a man of war shirt. Yeah. Born with the heart of steel on it. God, that's so fucking hot. That's so sexy. Anyway, I, I know I got it for you, but still you it's did. sexy that you wear it. But <laughs> that's so great. <sighs> anyway, uh, so Bezos, um, wishing that, never mind. Bezos, let's stick on, let's stay on target. Um, he made this tweet and I was like, no, his account got hacked. This is, this is crazy. Like, because I just know there's no way that he would even pretend that Bitcoin existed. He just won't do it. And if anybody listening to this who's into Bitcoin, look, I am pro Bitcoin. I am not against Bitcoin. I am just telling you the harsh fucking realities of Silicon Valley and of Amazon, who I've been right about over and over again for 10 years, long before any, uh, long before any tech journalist. And I just, I knew it. 
And so then I go looking into it and then I notice some trending on Twitter is hacked. Like, oh, what's this? And the story is, is that Bill Gates got hacked. I mean, there's, there were a slew of blue checkmark accounts. Elon Musk as well, actually speak of, uh, speak of, I don't want to call him the devil. The devil's a nice guy. Uh, you know, Kanye, just a bunch of Apple, even the Apple Twitter account got hacked. Okay. Now here's, here's the rub with this. Okay. And they're all saying the same thing that they wanted to give away Bitcoin. Yeah. It's great that Bitcoin got a little extra exposure today. Right. You know, that's nice. Um, and I don't think Apple's ever even tweeted, you know, so that, that was kind of amazing in and of itself. Um, so uh, apparently a lot of Bitcoin exchanges, which were also blue check marked, uh, they were also hacked. Like they were part of this hack, um, where they were, they were claiming that, you know, send us Bitcoin and we will give you Bitcoin back or whatever, you know, I mean, it's clearly a scam. Yeah. And that's kind of horrifying. Like how good are these hackers to get into all of these accounts? Well, here's the thing is that, I mean, this is the nature of centralized systems, certainly. Or how weak is Twitter? Yeah. Well, th- that's a great point to bring up and, and a, a totally valid. And, and it brings that, yeah, it's like, wow, you know, how did that even happen? Right. Um, my, my greatest concern here is that these accounts now Twitter responded very quickly to this. Ironically, I have dealt with companies where their Twitter accounts have gotten hacked. The response time isn't even close to the seconds, the minutes within which, and there was apparently a good five minutes where all blue checkmark accounts were banned from Twitter because Twitter was trying to figure out what the fuck happened. And as, and as of this recording, there is no official statement as far as what happened. Now, some of the, and the more particular information that's of interest is that uh, some of the like uh, uh, exchanges, the Bitcoin exchanges said that they had two FA activated. Um, you know, two-factor authentication, but they said they still got hacked. Now that's that even happen. Right now that's scary. So there are, and and this is what we need to talk about a little bit. Okay. Um, Despite the fact that the world was basically a virtual paradise for about five minutes because all the blue check marks were gone. Woo. I mean, talk about throw a party, you know, in fact, (laughs) some guy I shared it on my, on my feed as well, or on my profile as well. Uh, Like a guy said, you know, Twitter without the blue check marks and it showed like what the world looked like and everything was really advanced and, you know, people were walking amongst the trees and all this, you know, it's like <laughs> it, was, it, it was utopia. Right. And I thought that was really great. I was like, Oh, that's funny as hell. Um, but so, any, go ahead. are they like tyrants or something? What, what's the deal with the blue check marks? Why does everyone dislike well, them? Well, well to, to speak on that, I want, we, we got to talk about the two FA thing, but I want to speak on the point you just brought up. It's a great question to ask because it, it's relevant to what I have been saying recently on this show. And that is, is that people really do online at least do seem to be. And and if they're offline and not online, I think they, they inherently recognize this. People are realizing, um, you know, news organizations, they're not helping anything. They're making all of these situations infinitely worse. Influencers, celebrities, they're not helping shit. They're tone deaf. They are so far off the mark, even though they're the blue check mark, they are so far off the mark in what's going on. And the, in fact, the response to this, people just reveling in the joy of the fact that, oh, all the blue check marks are gone. So now we can actually talk to real fucking people, you know, who don't just live in California or who don't live in some whatever mansion of some kind. 
or have 20 houses, you know. So they're just so isolated from the rest of the world that they they they're very disconnected from regular life. Yeah, I think so. I mean, a great example is even though I think this is initially shared on Instagram, um, you know, I mean, the, these things kind of run concurrently. Uh, when when uh, Gal Gadot, when she was singing Imagine with uh, like Will Ferrell and all these other idiots, um, you know, sing John Lennon's Imagine. Turning what? it into a joke? No, they didn't turn it into a joke. The problem is, is that it was a response to what was happening with COVID-19. I see. It's a beautiful song, right? I mean, It is. Yeah. It's truly beautiful. Yeah, exactly. So, and I get what they were going for, but when you are doing that from your, I don't know, 200,000 square foot fucking mansion while people are starving, losing their businesses, losing their jobs and whatever else. No, you're not helping. It seems pretty insincere. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And people through... The uh, the protests, the, you know, COVID-19 and anything else going on. I think people are I'm not saying that they here's the problem. They don't they don't know where to they don't know where to uh, how to constructively um, use this angst or these realizations. I don't think so. I'm not like feeling like, oh, the world is going to be better, you know, tomorrow. No, but people are really starting to are I think are finally realizing None of these people are helping. These celebrities are completely out of touch. The news is basically coming at me with complete bias. I mean, you can't, nobody, no individual can, can't not have bias. Right. But, but the, yeah, they're just making everything worse. And if it's not, if they're not just making it worse by like the fact that they're trying to get clicks, they're making it worse by even espousing falsity, you know, falsehoods. And, and I think that's going on. Oh, certainly. I mean, right. I could think of an example just recently. Trump had his first rally a few weeks ago. And oh, yeah. I was at a friend's house and they had the television on and were watching this rally. Mm-hmm. Um, and they asked me to join them. And, you know, I'm, I'm always curious about a sickly, sick fascination. I yeah, guess. it's like it's like going to the circus. Yeah, every exactly. Once in a while. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I hear you. Yeah. And I'm listening to Trump talk about how he went through this embarrassing experience, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. And. And uh, finally, like he starts talking about how like um, the news was saying that there weren't going to be people there. But look at all the people in this stadium and the cameras were showing the stadium like completely full. Right. Like jam packed. Right. Um, And some people were wearing masks. Some weren't. It was kind of concerning. But then after I came home, I talked to you and you were like, uh, you said something about how. The Trump rally had barely anyone show up. And I'm like, what are you talking about? That's not what it looked like on the news. Right, right. Well, people took independent photos there of other angles that the news wasn't putting out. And it showed base a, a fairly empty affair, you know, a fairly empty event. And so, yeah, I mean, even within that, like, wait, what's real? You know? like Yeah, like, we're getting two completely different stories. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and speaking of what's real, we might get into a story... I've wanted to talk about you about deep fakes with you for some time. I've had a story since like May that I've wanted to discuss with you. We might get into that because that plays into this whole notion, but yeah. So people are, you know, with the blue check marks, they're just like, yeah, these aren't even real people, you know? And, and also they're probably afraid of losing, I don't know, backers and advertisers and whoever the fuck else, uh, you know, and, and folks, let's be a, let's be really clear here. These influencers and whoever else, and it's not just on Instagram, it's also on Twitter. If you've got a blue check mark, there's a pretty good bet that you have. There's some money on the line on every single tweet that you make. 
You know, if it's the rock doing for two years, a low key uh, subconscious campaign about tequila. And then suddenly, you know, years later, Oh gee, he has a tequila company. Wow. That, that wasn't in the works for fucking ever. You know, I, I mean, <laughs> they do this. Right. And so, so yeah, getting rid of the blue check marks. A lot of people feel like, wow, okay, finally there's real people here. I mean, there's still plenty of bots that aren't blue check marks. Right. And they're not sure. real people, but regardless that, that, that's the, that's the situation there. So, so I can see why people were celebrating. So I guess I'm just like, I'm curious how, do you think it would be possible for an account to be hacked that had two-factor authentication yeah. activated? Okay. Well, so, yes. So let's break this down. So there are three ways on a Twitter account since 2018 that you can uh, authenticate or that you can do 2FA. We'll just say that, 2FA. Okay. That's second-factor authentication. Um, and that one is, is that you can do it through SMS. Bad idea right? Because it's easy enough. And this might be part of the key to this SMS. You can basically hijack someone's phone number. Okay. And then you can get access to their SMS messages. Is that how all these spam calls get made with local numbers? Uh, no, that that's a different, that's a different technology. So okay. that, that's, 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 sorry a, if I sound thick. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Not at all. No, there, there's a conversation to have around that, but that, that, that's, that's different. So this is where, like, basically what I'm talking about is they, a person would call up AT&T, and these are things that I have dealt with with clients. They will call up AT&T and pretend to be you, okay? And you'll, you'll give them just enough information or whatever, uh, and then AT&T will say, okay, that's you. We'll port it to your new, we'll port your phone to your new device. And that's basically how it works. And it's worse in our age of where one phone number may be accessible to multiple devices. I've talked about this over the years on the show. Um, like where you could pick up your phone on your smartwatch, right? So you having one more device that your phone needs to go to AT&T doesn't see that as strange. Well, of course you do. You know, aren't you bought into the slave? I mean, uh, aren't you bought into the stupidity? I mean, aren't you bought into the modern world uh, that Silicon Valley is forcing upon you? And, well, anyway, so that that's how that might be the key to how they did it if there were still 2FA listed. Because I didn't see where anybody said here. Let, let's talk about the other two. The other two ways that you can to you can uh, you know have a second factor authentication is you can use an app like uh, the Google Authenticator, Microsoft's Authenticator, LastPass's Authenticator, where it gives you a one-time pin that's good for about 30, 60 seconds, whatever. Okay, and you have to put that pin in with the amount of time. And then it will recognize it, you know, the key will recognize it, uh, you know, on Twitter servers or, or on the servers, whatever, with whatever service you happen to do this. This is this, this one's a little more popular. Uh, not to say that there isn't a way to cheat that one as well, but regardless, like that's, that's one way to do this. The, the th or that's the second way to do this. The third way is you can use a YubiKey, which you're familiar with those, Ellen. I mean, you see me carrying mine around all the time. Um, and this is the part that bothers me regardless of how it happened, even if they had 2FA activated. And I hope that Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates and Elon Musk, who's supposedly the most brilliant fucking man on the planet. Okay. I hope that they had 2FA you yeah, know, me activated. Too. <laughs> I mean, I'm already, I'm still, admittedly, I'm still reeling from the fact that 
the like the Bezos leaks between him and his, you know, his new lover could have been through WhatsApp, his use of WhatsApp. It's like, wait, you have all the money in the world and you use WhatsApp to talk to people? What the fuck is wrong with you? Again, speaks to the fact that these people are morons. But anyway, um, I, I mean, look, folks, if I had Bezos money, I wouldn't have a phone. Like I wouldn't, I'd never pick up a smartphone again if I had that kind of money. You know, right. This really concerns me. Like these are the wealthiest people in America right. or the most influential. And they're using like the same technology as everyone else, the same apps. They're leaving themselves vulnerable when, when they have so much to protect. Yeah. Yeah. So a part of me wonders if, um, so, so anyway, so I'm bothered if they didn't even have 2FA activated, which is most likely the case here is that these were accounts, there was some, I mean, in fact, I again, I don't entirely understand all of the behind-the-scenes operations with Twitter, but a part of me wonders if all the blue check marks have their own server, <laughs> and that's the one that, that you know, somebody got access to. I mean, actually, the most likely is that there was an employee at Twitter who said, basically, who had a bad day and said, you know what, that's enough. And they, <laughs> they just, you know, because people they went rogue, they went rogue. And, and because here's the thing is that people uh, sent money to these Bitcoin addresses. Some people did, as far as I know, that did occur. Um, and, and I mean, this goes to talk about, you know, the problem of, uh, you know, appeal to authority. Well, there's a fucking issue here, right? which is even crazier that they're involved with Bitcoin and they still, you know, buy into, well, if Bezos says it, it must be real. How much you've missed, how little you even understand of the own technology that you're sending uh, with. But anyway, so those are the most likely scenarios is that these people didn't have 2FA, which that should be terrifying. It is. Um, And that maybe was a, you know, a Twitter employee. Now here's the thing. And, and, I don't, you know, this is good. Something that people are going to be tracking for a while because we need to get answers on this one. If it's SMS, I can see how it happened. If they had two FA on and it was SMS, I could see how this went down, how they, how, how, you know, these numbers might've been faked or, or something like that. Like I can imagine scenarios where that could have happened. If it's the, if it was two FA through an authenticator app, that becomes a little more troubling how the, how this was possible. Um, and I'm going to guess that it wasn't, I'm going to guess that it didn't happen that way because frankly, a lot of this stuff gets done through like assistance, right? Like the people themselves usually don't don't tweet. It's done by assistance and those assistants need to have access to the phone number. Perhaps that could give the two FA. That's why the, the phone number part of this is I think the most likely, uh, this also doesn't speak well of Bitcoin exchanges that should terrify the fuck out of people. Okay. I am ultimately bothered that even people like Elon Musk, like Bill Gates, like Jeff Bezos, like go down the fucking list. I am most bothered that these people aren't using YubiKeys or something like a YubiKey, be it the Google Titan key or whatever. They're not using, we have such fantastic security available with hardware devices, you know, that, that, that work with Fido. I am, I'm just baffled that they're not doing this, that they're not taking their security this seriously. And this, just like when we found out that or supposedly Jeff Bezos's WhatsApp account got hacked. Um, what this says about the powers that be, 
what it says about they, them, those, what it says about the people that we think are really running the show, you know, say like a Jeff Bezos or a Musk or whatever is terrifying. And in fact, I don't know if we're going to be able to get to it, but we've wanted to review the movie Brazil. One of the key concepts behind the movie Brazil that I think is actually something worth, worth really thinking about is that, you know, really like the machine that is society has just become so top heavy, like has become so complex that it's just, it's eating itself and failing itself constantly. Right. I mean, it's, it is in like in the movie Brazil, it's as simple as a fly falling into the typewriter, you know, and instead of, you know, instead of Tuttle, it's, it's Buttle. And, and that there's not actually anything nefarious going on in the world. It's just that, I mean, people, the people on top are nincompoops. And the organization is so cumbersome. Right, right. It's like a Sony Pictures situation where like, no, it was just so fucking big. Of course it got hacked. You know, uh, you, you can't secure something that's that large. And, and, you know, so it just raises a lot of questions. It's funny, you know, in and of itself. But then, you know, when you start to think critically about it, we either have massive security problems that we're not aware of with that has to do with authenticator apps there, or there are massive security problems with Twitter and also, or, or maybe there's problems somehow with, with, you know, like with Fido too, but I don't, I don't know exactly how that's possible on a remote because if, if these authentication systems are put in correctly by Twitter, you can't access the account without that physical fucking key. And there's no way so, or I would hope there's no way that somebody stole everybody, all the blue check marks stole all of their Yubi keys. Like that just, that, <laughs> that couldn't have happened. You know, I mean, that that's a crime spree where why you, I mean, I guess the Yubi key would actually be an important thing to grab, but I mean, I would be grabbing so much more if, if you're able to get that close to grab a physical device out of their fucking pockets. I, this is, this is terrifying on, on so many levels that this was possible, but it, but depending on what the, how this happened, it's terrifying in many different ways. Now, in one way, it's actually hopeful because here's the thing. If all the morons up top don't understand security, like the people that say, listen to this show, you know, and, and, and maybe engage and do the things that I espouse. Oh yeah. You know, we can really lock shit up away from these people. We really can live in the cracks away from these fucking people. And that becomes a message of, I hate this word, but that becomes a message of hope. It's like, oh, we can escape because these idiots don't know what they're doing, but we do, you know, but I don't know. It it, it really depends on what the answer is here. But this is, this is one of the, this is a massive event because the ramifications of what's going on here, whatever the answer is, it's not, it's not good other than the hope that, you know, we can at least secure ourselves, maybe. So, but I mean, the worst thing that could come out of this is no, we use the YubiKey and someone still hacked our account. Fuck. I mean, that would suck. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know how that would happen, but uh, that'd but be the worst news I could get. Not even possible though. I just don't see how it's possible. Not remotely. You can, you can do exploits with YubiKeys and there have been fixes on them. Even like Tails has been explicit about them and operating systems have. You can do, you can, you can create exploits where you could exploit basically a FIDO key locally. Okay. At the device, but remote code. Mm-mm. I, I haven't seen that yet, at least not to my knowledge. And I, maybe I'm wrong, but anyway, what do you got? 
I'm just thinking like uh, the two two FA with uh, using uh, your phone number, mm-hmm. like an SMS message, for yep. example. That is so easy and so common. Yeah. I I feel like that must be it. I, for that number of really big influencers to mm-hmm. be hacked, um, especially considering that it's their assistants doing a lot of the work for them, or even if they are doing it themselves, uh, I I just don't see how all of these people would have YubiKeys. Like my guess is it's the SMS. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm leaning on that. Or as an employee, I mean, and fuck, maybe there's a way that that Twitter, you know, uh, has it so that they can access accounts even if there is two FA activated. Yeah, that's scary. Possibly. You know, um, I mean, I, I. Yeah, I imagine Twitter must somehow have the ability to turn, I mean, because you can turn off 2FA, but usually to do that, you have to prove it by putting in a 2FA code to turn it off, right? But maybe Twitter's just got a backdoor way where they can just turn it off from, you know, uh, uh, server side, and then it doesn't matter. Again, any of these answers really suck, you know, un- unless it's just the stupidity of, of these people, which... That doesn't, yeah. that's, I mean. It's possible they don't even have 2FA. Yeah, yeah. Again, the Bitcoin exchanges are claiming they did. Of course, do you believe them? Anybody in Bitcoin who's been in there long enough knows better than to trust or to believe everything that comes out of the mouth of a Bitcoin exchange. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not going to say that necessarily I believe them, but that's the evidence as it stands. They're claiming that they did have it set up and it still happened. Um course i could imagine that they would say that just to mitigate responsibility you know uh and reaction so i i don't know but but this this is a this is easily just like the whatsapp story i think with bezos is a big deal this is this is one of the biggest stories of 2020 potentially because how did this happen you know i guess we'll have to wait for a twitter statement yeah i mean am i gonna believe them Uh, i don't know I mean, this is this is going to be this is really going to be interesting. They might not even t- say that much. Yeah, I mean, but the, I think they've got to respond. Otherwise, every I mean, they're going to start losing people because security re- researchers are going to lose their shit over this, you know. And and you, that's really all it takes is enough security researchers to come out and say, no, you need to stop using Twitter. We don't know what's going on here, you know. And and that would be enough to get the right people off of there, I think. So, you know, I mean, and then if, if, the, if, if Twitter fucked up and, and they don't appease the celebrities, I mean, then you're really screwed because then they're not going to be on it at all. Right. Because it's their quote unquote good name, you know? Uh, so yeah, this, this is, this is a big, big deal. No matter, no matter how simple the, the reality of what happened is, this is a huge deal. Um, so anyway, I, I don't really have anything else to say on it, but I mean, do, do, any thoughts that you wanted to share on it or? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, this is why I don't like using social media in general, because these things do happen. I mean, I, I've had my Facebook account hacked by bots before. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the fewer accounts you have, the easier it is to manage. Right. But yeah, I don't know. Um, I guess... I would be interested to know what the truth is, and I, I can't wait to hear what your uh, research has to say about what what the outcome of this is, whether it was Twitter's fault or 
user's fault or who knows? Yeah. Well, I will definitely, this is something I'm going to be keeping a very, very close eye on. And we'll definitely talk about whatever we happen to find out um, on the show in pretty short order. I mean, basically as soon as there's a statement of some kind, I'll probably get behind the mic and start recording. Um, Because again, I mean, this is, this is just, this is really a big deal. I know I keep saying it, but you got to get it in your heads that no matter how, again, no matter how simple the answer to this, there's a problem and it's a big one, you know, like any way you slice this, uh, what, whether it says something about Twitter, uh, or security practices or society. So, you know, really, you know what I think the worst part is though, actually, what about, is it about Twitter? The worst part is how long most people spend staring at their screen, fucking reading all of that fire hose. Oh, what a tragedy. You're right. That is the worst part. <laughs> but interestingly, and this is something I take pretty seriously, but interestingly, you recently came upon a story that has to do with a, what seems to be a very simple way. And folks, this is no advertisement whatsoever. I am amazed by this. Uh, I take eyesight vision very seriously. And I think we all certainly understand we stare at screens way too much and it is killing our eyes. Um, yes, <laughs> but you found a story that I, I thought was absolutely fascinating. And I'm, what I'm going to do here, this is, uh, some people in the radio industry call this career suicide, but I, this is, this will be like maybe the fourth or fifth time that I've ever let anybody like really take lead on an entire segment of my show, but <laughs> you, it's career suicide. Yeah, you, <laughs> You happen to be more than enough to handle it. Uh, of course, I mean, hell, you, you uh, come on. Your show is, was tremendous. You had your own podcast. <laughs> Thank you. I've actually had many. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, right. Yeah, well, that's true. I think you're referring to Illumination Hour. Yes. One of the most brilliant shows I've ever heard. And I, I mean that. And, and I'm not the only one. Other Sovereign Tech listeners who I turned them on to that Thank said you. the same damn thing. Yeah, thank and you. so I know you've got it. <laughs> that's, that's never a worry wow this is exciting i've never taken lead on sovereign tech yeah i'm, I'm, I'm trying to like make you nervous no <laughs> all right well let's make sure this isn't career suicide for you <laughs> well anyway i trust you with my life and my love so i trust you with my show so all right give me this story break it down read it let's do it Okay, well, everyone's heard about how blue light is keeping you awake at night because, you know, you stare at your screen for too long before you go to bed. You bring your phone into bed with you. Uh, You're not going to be able to sleep because you've been staring at blue light. I am certainly criminal of this. Yes, you are. (laughs) I won't deny that. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, continue. Um, Anyway, it's your personal choice. Everyone gets to choose how much they want to stare at screens throughout the day. Well, I guess to some extent, it's not always a choice. But anyway, different light wavelengths, different frequencies of light have different properties. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, humans can only see the the spectrum, the visual spectrum. uh, And each different light kind of like has different properties attributed to it psychologically. Um, But uh, there's new research that's come out recently showing that red light or... uh, Deep red light, specifically, can improve naturally declining vision. Like just shining the red light in my face? I mean, give me, this, <laughs> give me the story here. Okay. I mean, so, cause, oh, well, real quick, I, I'm thinking like these red laser pointers. 
And just like, right. which, which they specifically say on it for those that bother to read directions, do not point this directly at your eyes. <laughs> I know. That's what I was thinking when I read this story. I was okay. like, wait, so now we can look at the lasers and it'll actually heal our eyes instead of burn our retinas? <laughs> Wouldn't that be a hell of a thing if you found out actually this was the cure, not the uh, not the disease? But anyway, uh, continue. Well, I, I get the sense that lasers... Um, mm-hmm. Lasers are designed to be really high intensity. Yes. Uh, they have a, lo- a large concentration of photons in a small right. area. Um, so probably not a laser is what this study's referring to. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the synopsis says, looking at 670 nanometer red light specifically mm-hmm. for three minutes a day can significantly improve cone color contrast sensitivity or the ability to detect colors. And rod sensibility, or rod sensitivity, which is the ability to see in low light. Uh, this is according to a new study published in the Journals of Gerontology, Series A. Uh-huh. So it has to be specifically that wavelength, 670 nanometers. Okay. Um, so the story goes on. It says, uh, retinas age faster than other organs with a 70% ATP reduction over life and a significant de- decline in photoreceptor function. Uh, so ATP is essentially the energy that your cells use to... It's like the gasoline for the engine. Mm-hmm. Um, so for it to reduce it to to like 70% lower levels, that's that's pretty incredible, really. Sure, that's substantial. Um, it is. It, it explains a lot of like vision problems that people have as they get older. Mm-hmm. Um and I know you've said this is important to you. I, I think it's incredibly important. You have to see to survive. And uh, for people like us who have to wear glasses to see far away, it's, you know, it's pretty appealing to imagine that we could just stare at screens and get our eyes better. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, I was always told that, like, eating carrots would help improve my eyesight, but... I eat carrots enough, and uh, I don't feel like it's really helped my eyes. That I used to much. hear that all the time too. It's the vitamin K; it lets you see at night, right? I mean, I, I've heard that kind of stuff. Um, but okay, well, well, the journals of gerontology—that's a reputable source. Sure. So that's what makes me want to believe this article. All right. So it goes on to say: as you age, your visual system declines significantly, particularly once over the age of forty. Your retinal sensitivity and color vision are both gradually undermined. And with an aging population, this is an increasingly important issue, said Professor Glenn Jeffrey, a research at the a researcher at the Institute of Ophthalmology at the University of College London. To try to stem or reverse this decline, we sought to reboot the retina's aging cells with short bursts of long-wave light. In humans around 40 years old, Cells in the eye's retina begin to age, and the pace of this aging is caused in part when the cell's mitochondria, whose role is to produce energy carried by adenosine triphosphate, which is ATP molecules, and to boost cell function, also start to decline. So that was a really long run-on sentence that tried to include way too much information at once. (laughs) So I'm just going to break it down a little bit more. Um, So it's saying after... Humans reach 40 years old, their retina cells are begin to age at a more rapid pace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is caused by the mitochondria, which produce energy in your cell, essentially turn the ATP into useful energy. Um, they they uh, 
no longer produce as much ATP. So you're not like getting as much energy to those cells, which are, which need to be replenished in your retina. Like the cells in your body don't mm-hmm. just exist forever. They're constantly dying and dividing. So it's important for your cells to have a steady stream of ATP because that's the energy that keeps them living and dividing. So, so is this suggesting that this is only helpful for older people then? Um, Yeah, it'll actually say that specifically later. Um, So anyway, mitochondrial density is greatest in the retina's photoreceptor cells, which have high energy demands. As a result, the retina ages faster than other organs with a 70% ATP reduction over life, causing a significant decline in photoreceptor function as they lack the energy to perform their normal role. The scientists built on their previous findings in mice, bumblebees, and fruit flies, which all found significant improvements in the function of the retinous photoreceptors when their eyes were exposed to 670 nanometer deep red light. Imagine the light in the eyes of the fly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they've got those compound lenses on their eyes. It'd be like a disco ball. (laughs) I can see it all now, man. (laughs) I can just picture the fly. All right, go. Mitochondria have specific light absorbance characteristics influencing their performance. Longer wavelengths, spanning 650 to 1,000 nanometers, are absorbed and improve mitochondrial performance to increase energy production, Professor Jeffrey said. The retina's photoreceptor population is formed of cones, which mediate color vision and rods, which provide peripheral vision and adapt vision in low dim light. The study involved 24 people aged between 28 and 72 who had no ocular disease. So granted, that's a pretty small population. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure this study is going to be reproduced many times because it's it's a very easy study to do. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, so far it's only been done on, on humans in very small populations. Okay. All participants' eyes were tested for the sensitivity of their rods and cones at the start of the study. Rod sensitivity was measured in dark adapted eyes with pupils dilated by asking participants to detect dim light signals in the dark. And cone function was tested by subjecting identifying colored letters but, or by subjects identifying colored letters that had very low contrast and appeared increasingly blurred, a process called colored contrast. Um, and you've probably seen these tests before. They're like, uh, it'll show a picture that has a lot of circles in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of them are like just slightly different colored and they pop out at you if if you can detect the difference in colors. Right. Um, so the participants were then given a small LED torch or a flashlight for us Americans and, <laughs> and were asked to look into its deep red 670 nanometer light beam for three minutes a day for two weeks. Okay. They were then retested for their rod and cone sensitivity. The researchers found that 670 nanometer light had no impact in younger individuals. But in those around 40 years and over, significant improvements were obtained. Cone color contrast sensitivity improved by up to 20% in some people aged 40 and over. Improvements were more significant in the blue part of the color spectrum that is more vulnerable in aging. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And that's actually something that's true in general. Like men have a higher propensity for colorblindness than women. And generally it's like in the blue or green area of the spectrum. Oh, that's interesting. So, I mean, my understanding is, is that green is like the easiest on the eyes. That That's always interesting that, that I guess that that's part of colorblindness. Maybe so, psychologically. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe it is just a psychological thing. But anyway, continue, please. Okay. So rod sensitivity also improved significantly in those around age 40, though less than color contrast. Mm-hmm. Our study shows that it's possible to significantly improve vision that has declined in aged individuals using simple brief exposures to light wavelengths that recharge the energy system that has declined in the retina cells, rather like recharging a battery. This very much reminds me of how they suggest that reading can, in layman's terms, keep your mind young because it keeps, I'm trying to remember what the, the chemical is that it keeps running uh, or that reading can, because it's, it's, oh. it keeps your neurons firing. Yeah. Yeah. Because after 25, it tapers off and, and reading, you know, just that simple act can just keep it, you know, keep firing. I'm making sounds. I don't know why I am on this show. But anyway. <laughs> Because your neurons are literally firing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, but this is so. This is as simple as just a red flashlight in a specific range. Yeah, yeah. The last paragraph says this technology is very simple and safe. Using a deep red light of a specific wavelength that's absorbed by mitochondria in the retina that supply energy for cellular function. Our devices cost 15 US dollars to make. So the technology is highly accessible to members of the public. Somehow somebody's going to patent that or somehow big eyeglass is going to keep, is going to keep this from being a thing. There's no, no way they can control <laughs> no, it. No, I know. Right. Yeah. Uh, frankly, you could find a red light source mm-hmm. online somewhere that's specifically 670 nanometer wavelength. Right. And stare at that for three minutes a day. Yeah. This, I mean, if this is true and for 15 bucks, why the hell not try it? Exactly. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, certainly I, you know, it's got me thinking about it. Yeah, do it. You know, um, I mean, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, does this. Well, I, I think it's very exciting. I mean, mm-hmm. for people who struggle with, with their eyesight. Right. Uh, it, and that are over the age of 40. Uh, it's, it's so simple. It's so accessible. Mm-hmm. And um, it, yeah, it, like you said, why not do it? Um also, it just, it kind of like confirms something for me. I, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but whenever I see bright red light, mm-hmm. uh, it just, it like stirs something in my eyes and I can't look away from it. And it's more than just a psychological thing. It's it, not it's just the, like the evolutionary trait of danger. It feels like the danger. energetics, like something is happening. Mm. Um Red light therapy is a big deal, right? Like that's a thing that people talk about, like that a yeah. lot of these optimizer guys are really into. Well, this article kept saying over and over again, that wavelength of light activates the mitochondria to produce ATP. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's true. It, it does stimulate them. That It's it's very interesting. I mean, I, I've heard, again, for 15 bucks, it might as well be free, right? <laughs> right. You know, because I, I know, I mean, so, and I've talked about this on the show. Uh, I mean, the military decades ago did research on red lights on using like red lights for, um, you know, for interfaces and so on, uh, like in the inside of tanks and everything else. 
And I mean, they basically found, yeah, no, this is exactly what you want to do. You don't want to use anything else. You want to keep this stuff natural, et cetera. Um, and I mean, even, I'm even thinking of like astronomy software that I use where it will have the night vision option. And what it does is it just makes your entire, like say smartphone screen go red. That way your eyes don't have to go through the adjustment of, you know, looking at what the, the app, you know, the astronomy app is telling you is above you and actually seeing it when you pull the phone away. So, I mean, red light, yeah, there, there is a sensitivity or almost a lack thereof like that the, the eye has for it. Yeah. And this is just, it's so interesting. It's got me thinking too, like, um, this isn't something that I think most people would expect, but red light is actually the lowest energy light that you can visibly see. Right. Um, uh, it goes up in energy heading from red to blue, for example, like mm -hmm. blue is a very high energy light source. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so there's that. And then also I'm just thinking like when you're in the womb, that's all you're seeing is ah. the, the red light, you know, the, the light filtering through the blood and skin, right? That is all red. So like during that developmental period of life, the first nine months, all you're seeing it when your eyes develop is red light. So there, yeah, there there's so, but I mean, this is basically saying, cause it's not just psychological. In fact, that's kind of, Oh, that's, that's so weird. Yeah. yeah. Your, your body physically responds to it. And the mitochondria react to the red light, not just in your retinas, but everywhere on your body. Mm -hmm. Mitochondria are the same across the board. That, yeah, that that's wild. I don't, I don't know what that means though. Like, I'm not sure what the real application of that would be, mm -hmm. but this is certainly an application that I could get behind. I'm doing it. I mean, I'm doing it, you know, absolutely. Um, I mean, one trick, so th there's an old trick that I learned and it's called like the 20, 20, 20 rule, not the 20, 20, not the 80, 20 rule. It's not the Pareto principle, but the 20, 20, 20 rule, which is every 20 minutes. Like if you're looking at screens for a long time, every 20 minutes, look away at something that's 20 feet away for at least 20 seconds. That's brilliant. Yeah, no, it, it, and, and it's a, it's a great thing and it'll save your eyes and probably your sanity too, because there's almost nothing good going on on these screens. Uh, but, <laughs> but regardless, um, that's something I try to apply, but I mean, it's so hard to pay attention to like every 20 minutes, you know, to do something. And I mean, I think that goes a long way and you know, the, I mean, the reason I know about it is because there's been research done on it, that it's a good idea to do. Um, but this is something, you know, that you can just kind of remember to do. And I mean, I'm approaching 40, you know, I'm 39. Um, this is something you can think to do every night for a few minutes. And, you know, just before you go to bed and, you know, bammo, I guess, like you get the advantages. What do yeah, you got? Yeah. Um, I was also thinking because they mentioned in this article that they sent the participants home with an LED torch. Mm -hmm. And you and I both have recently read a book that has to do with EMFs. Yes. Um, and, and not that I'm necessarily concerned about the EMF portion of the LED light, mm -hmm. but the fact that it blinks in rapid succession, you know, it, it's not, um, it's not like a natural source of light where right. it's a consistent stream. It's, it's a constantly blinking light source. I, I, I'm just not sure how that, not the uh, LED you're saying? Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I hear you. Um, yeah. I like, I'm just curious 
does it make a difference? This is something that I hope that somebody investigates. Mm -hmm. Like in this study specifically, LED light source versus a consistent natural light source. Or even like an incandescent bulb, you mean? Well, an incandescent bulb would also blink. If if it was attached to um, like a a circuit, say, Mm. because it has AC... Yeah. Maybe, maybe the yeah. torches were, uh, well, a- anyway, that's just something that I would like to see is yeah, well, natural the light, discussion yeah. of like the blinking light versus the natural light. Yeah. So, cause you could put, you could take like a piece of film of some kind that would you be able to do that? Like, could you hold up a piece of film to the sun that basically would filter out the light to where you get the exact range that you need? Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Because the light is a white light. It has every wavelength in it. Right. So if you filter out all of them, except for the 650 nanometer wavelength, that would, that would be perfect. I mean, that's less than 15 bucks. That's 50 cents, (laughs) (laughs) you know, or at least it could be. Mm -hmm. That's a very interesting idea. Like even that would be, I mean, that's, that's a nice natural way of doing it. It is. Yeah. Yeah, you could just get a piece of plastic film that only transmits red light. See, I would have never thought of that. That's that, There's potential that, that, I mean, that needs to be taken into consideration in further research, what you're saying. That's brilliant. Um, yeah. Um, it's just, it's something that I think there's been research done on that, too, where, mm-hmm. like, the flashing of lights can make you feel, like, nauseous or... Uh, can make your eyes hurt and strain oh, f- after a certain period of time. A fluorescent bulb will give you a headache. Yeah. I mean, just well, from even having to look at it. Incandescent bulbs do the same thing. Sure. sure. Uh, anything that's attached to an AC current. Mm-hmm. Um, and LEDs, I, I don't know what the deal is with them. They just blink. Yeah. I mean, I, I think in a lot of ways, people see them as like the best or the, the least evil of lights. They're the in lowest energy, yeah. highest efficiency, I should yeah. say. Yeah, because they also last the longest, too. Yeah. Uh, so that is that is very interesting. But this is, I mean, I love this, the idea that there's just some very simple trick, you know, that, that could potentially, I mean, because I think, like so many other things that, that we've had in the past, say, 50, 60 years, I mean, we're not part of like some grand conspiracy experiment, but it feels like we are ultimately in an experiment of evolution civilization where I think a lot of the things that we've introduced in the past 50, 60 years, maybe a few, a few more decades down the line, we're going to start paying the piper on that. Uh, Yeah. Like what we've allowed. I mean, not many, there, there hasn't been, like some of this technology hasn't existed long enough for real long-term studies to be done on the effects of humans. Right. I mean, we already, yeah, we already know about technic. We already, you know, I mean, like there's lots of little things we already know that are, that are our health problems based around the technology, even just something like the smartphone, but like the prevalence of staring at screens and everything. I just, I think sooner or later, I mean, and we've known this with televisions really, but I I think the prevalence is really going to change. I'm, yeah, I'm just very concerned about the eyesight. I, I know this sounds kind of cliche, but like I'm genuinely concerned about the eyesight of the people of the future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, really. So anything that can help with that, especially that only costs 15 bucks. Hey, let's do it. So uh, what else you got on this? Anything? 
Well, th- that was the entire article. Um, yeah. You know, I just hope that, like, if you're a person that's 40 years old and you want your eyesight to be better, it doesn't even have to be bad if you just want it to be better, um, you know, give it a try. And let us know what you think. Yeah. I mean, in your opinion, this can't hurt, right? Like, I mean, there's. No, I unless the light is, like, so blindingly powerful that it really burns your retinas. Yeah, yeah. Like, like don't like... stare into the laser. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. So here's the test. Point it at a black balloon. And if the balloon pops after about a minute, don't point it at your eyes. Otherwise, go ahead and point it at your eyes. <laughs> anyway, you used to have fun with lasers. <laughs> you just put the black dot on the balloon, or if it's an entirely black balloon, then that, uh, anyway, you can pop a balloon That's that way. That's amazing. With a laser. I didn't realize you yeah, could do that. Yeah. I don't want to say go to YouTube, but go to YouTube and check it out. I mean, but I used to. At last tech company that I worked at, a lot of times we'd have a little too much free time. And if we weren't playing uh, uh, Star Wars uh, Jedi Academy, we were um, pretending we had lightsabers in our hands and blowing up black balloons. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a totally, totally normal thing for a 30 year old to do. Come on. <laughs> Just hold the laser at the same point for 60 seconds. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Anyway, uh, so. Well, that, yeah, again, I think that's wonderful and a great takeaway. I love it when people can take away something that they something they can do that's actionable, right? yes, something yeah. actionable away from the show. So I love that. And it might actually improve your health. Hell yeah. Yeah. So that's great. Um, I don't think we're just going to have to have you on again, Ellen, because I don't think we're going to be able to get into the deep fakes oh, story that I wanted. Yeah, it's relevant, really, to much of what we've been talking about. But uh, but I think we'll, we'll have to save that. But we will get into that conversation. I promise promise we're going to get into that um and you had a bunch of other stories too that were awesome i mean that penguin you know pooping six feet (laughs) yeah who doesn't want to hear about penguin shit why not i mean they they can shit six feet they throw up you know into each other's mouths i mean these these creatures are amazing (laughs) (laughs) but instead um why don't we take a little break we'll switch it up and uh we'll talk about some fun stuff for the rest of the show we'll be right back with some more stuff Hello, Sovereignati. As you know, Sovereign Tech proudly no longer puts content behind a paywall and makes thousands of hours and episodes available to you totally for free. But if you feel that stirring in your cockles or that special feeling in your heart, I beseech you, nay, I implore you to help the show out by donating. Frequenting our sponsors is key, but donations from listeners like you has always made the show go round and round. You can go to SovereignTech.com to set up an automatic monthly donation, or you can donate via the Bitcoin address in the show notes. And now you can even donate with the Cash app at cash.app and use the money tag Sovereign Tech. So many ways to help out the show, and I'm honored by all of it, allowing us to build and be the future. Now, let's get back to the show. Now entering the gaming grid. The latest gaming news, reviews, and retro culture, as only the man of tomorrow can deliver.
And here's your host, Brian Sovereign. You know, something that I have had an absolute joy and that people have loved, the first time we did it was when you were on last. I've, I've never really had anybody co-host with me on the gaming grid, you know, or on, or during game talk often enough. I mean, sometimes I'd have somebody in talking about video games with me, but we like to lighten things up towards the end of the show because it seems like we're often talking about such serious matters throughout the other, uh, or the first half or hour and a half of it. And so I thought we could lighten things up here a bit, but people loved it when you were talking on the last gaming grid, when you were talking the last time we did this segment. Yeah. uh, I actually heard from quite a few people that they went out and bought both age of empires (laughs) two. And Roller Coaster Tycoon. And okay, so now, well, don't blame me for your loss of life over this. <laughs> well, well, at the very least, we've given them something where they're not going to lose their eyesight over this right. now. So, <laughs> so that's all right. Now you can play the game for five hours straight, but just go stare at the red light. Yeah. <laughs> it's afterwards. Well, anyway, you know, we were playing this and we were doing some, you and I were doing some multiplayer here and there on a, on a Friday night, you know, uh, after the gym, folks. We have our priorities in order here <laughs> yes. okay? and I'm not kidding either. It was after like two and a half hours of the, at the gym. Um, Cause planet fitness opened back up, which boy, that's been an experience. Oh yeah. We could yeah, talk about that, strange. but uh, maybe we'll save that for another episode. Um, but anyway, so we we're playing age of empires two. You were kicking my ass uh, basically from one side mm-hmm. of the continent to the other, um, you know, in, in this game and multiplayer. And we as even, I do. Yeah, as you do. And we even added in like computer players and everything. And you were, you were still just wiping the floor with, with everybody. <laughs> you are quite the, quite the devious strategist. Uh, I mean, you really, you, you have a streak in you. Thank you. Well, I'll give you another tip here. Mm-hmm. So last time I was on, I mentioned how it's very important to start your economy rolling with plenty of villagers. Never let them be idle. Work them like dogs. Right. Um. The second piece of advice that I want to give, and I really have to give credit to Age of Empires for doing this, they place such an importance on research, on on technology and improvements. You really have to pay attention to that. Yeah. Because. You got to climb that technology tree. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not adding to your body of knowledge as you go through the game, you're just, you're going to be wiped out very quickly. I've learned this from you because. I am very much, and and honestly, through much of life, not just in video games, I'm very much a brute force guy. I mean, <laughs> yes. I, I am I am not the kind of person who would invent the saw that would cut the hole in the wall. I am the person who would walk through the wall. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and I mean, burst through it like the Kool-Aid man, you know, was, oh, yeah. I mean, that that, <laughs> that, that, that is me, you know. And so I've learned this. You know, you've taught me this, that, that I can't just win. I mean, it's not like Starcraft where you can do a little Zerg rush and you can just have all your peons, you know, go and, and, and like kill the other peons before anybody builds any uh, uh, militia. Right. But um, yeah. Anyway, I've learned a lot from you on, on, you on some of this stuff. Not that I was bad at these games in the first place, but no, like no, certainly no. I've, I've learned uh, you, you fine tuned um, my strategies. Thank you. Well, yeah. I, I am an engineer. I love technology and I love efficiency. I, you know, <laughs> but I, absolutely. And it shows. But I also I have a little theory around this is that I think and I'll be kind. I'll, I'll put it this way. Oh, don't yeah. don't worry about hurting my feelings. No, not, not your feelings, but, you know, maybe others. OK. Anti-authoritarians. I'll say it that way. OK. Instead of using the other A word. 
I, I get, a, I feel like anti-authoritarians have such an understanding of how power and force works that they are often really good at these games because they get it. They're like, oh, no, 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 I know how to be ruthless or no, no, I know that's just ink <laughs> on a page. There are no rules. You know? <laughs> Diplomacy can change at any time. Exactly. Ink on a page. That's all it is. And so I, I have a theory about that. You know, that's be, very interesting. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I will, we'll do, maybe we'll do some little N of one on or N of two on that. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so we were playing these games though. And eventually I just, you know, was so embarrassed and ashamed um, that, oh, that no. I, <laughs> that I said, I was like, no, can, can like, can I be, can, can we be allies, you know, instead, because I'm just not going to beat you or at least not right now. Well, I could also tell, like, it's not going to be fun for either of us if I'm just killing you at the beginning of every game. Oh, you get pleasure out of that. <laughs> Well, like it's old after, after the, time. No, know? after the things we do in the bedroom. I, or wait, I, the, oh, sorry. Uh, no, I don't want revenge for any of it. Okay, it has nothing to do with vengeance. It's simply domination uh, and power. Well, there we go. Anyway, anyway, it was it was a joy to be an ally with you. Yeah, it was so a very different experience. Yes, now. And, and it was, and it was a lot of fun, actually. It was, it was really cool. Like I would do my measly thing and I'd get to do like a lot of the fun stuff when we were allies because like I get to come up from behind. Yeah. You know, I like, I like to do that. I like to sneak in or I get to come up with really interesting strategies like where, oh wait, I can, I can actually build like a whole other town center across the river, you know, and, and, <laughs> and, and, and then they, and then my other town center could just be a decoy. This is great. You know, like, I, I love this sort of, but I only get to do that because you're there, you know, in full force, making sure nothing stops us, you know? And, yeah. I've got like ships patrolling the waterways. Right. Right. So I, I get to engage in, uh, in, in a little more stealth, which, uh, which believe it or not, as much as I'm a brute force guy, I actually like, you know, that, those kind of creative uh, pursuits. Um, anyway, <laughs> so that was fun, but, Ultimately, I said, I was like, you know what? It's like, there's this game that I played and it's in the Age of Empire series that I would love for you to try out, Ellen. And it's Age of Mythology. So I had you go through the horrendous process of opening a Steam account. Oh, yeah, that that was tough. Yeah, that was a pain in the ass. (laughs) And um, I wish I've never used Steam before. I guess you've had your account for what, a decade? Over uh, forever. Yeah, it's. around there i didn't even know steam existed that long ago (laughs) yeah yeah anyway it's both the beauty and the bane of one's existence but anyway so age of mythology is not on gog otherwise we would have gone there um fortunately the summer sale was going on so i got this for you for a song Uh, i already had it but they so age of mythology came out in 2002 it got re-released as uh, an expanded edition in 2014 and amazingly, Microsoft is still updating the fuck out of this game. Even though, even as the expanded edition, it's been out already for five years. In fact, the latest update came out like on the 29th of June. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, well, it is an amazing game. It is right. They're major, major updates. Now I love this game for a bunch of different reasons. Uh, I mean, I, I like getting to play. I mean, it's interesting to play the Atlanteans, the Egyptians, uh, the ancient Chinese, 
um, you know, the Vikings and so on. I mean, there's a lot of fun in that. The storyline with our, the character of Arkantos is amazing in this game. The single player is worth it alone. And they, they took a lot of, they lifted a lot of elements, I think, from the Command and Conquer series where like there are missions that are not straight up grinding and whatever with RTS or not straight up, you know, using the meat grinder and collecting resources. There's different mis- missions in it that, that have different uh, uh, goals, you know, and, and objectives that are, that go outside of the traditional RTS, which is what I loved about command and conquer back in the day. So that, that makes it fun. Um, we haven't gotten to doing any multiplayer in this yet. Not yet. But I'm sure the, we will. Yeah, well, part of the problem was, is that, so, I mean, how, how would you rate this game? Let's say that first. How would I rate it? Yeah. Uh, well, I think it's beautiful. The stories, again, as you said, are majestic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so fascinating how there are, like, so many different characters with, uh, like, really unique moves and traits. Yeah, because you have hero characters. In right. This. Yeah. yeah, and even the technology. Um that part is really interesting too, because when you advance from like the the Stone Age to the Bronze Age or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, you get to choose which major god you worship. Right. They become like your your patron god. Yeah. Um, and that gives you access to different technology trees. Uh, so I find that really fascinating. And also, one thing that makes this game especially unique, uh, compared to Age of Empires is that after you win a scenario, you get to see like a an animated video of like whatever conversation is happening that moves oh, the story along. Yeah, when you're doing single player, yes, yes, right. And and it's they use the in game engine, which I love them for having the balls to do that because it keeps the narrative flow going, and you really feel like in many ways you're playing like a full on movie and story. Yeah. As to where with Age of Empires 2, it pulls you away, shows like a graphic and like some scrolling words and everything. And I mean, it's amazing. Like in some of these cutscenes, I mean, it's funny. Like, like mm-hmm. I think the, the jokes land, which, which is remarkable to consider that a real-time strategy, especially that isn't Warcraft, is dead on hilarious, you know, but right. also very serious. Like you also, you really invest in what's going on. Yeah, anyway, uh, there's just so much to like about this game. And yeah. I, I would give it a 10 out of 10. Yeah, yeah, no, same. I, I, I think it's easily probably in my top three RTSs of all time. Um, I played this a lot more than I played any of the Age of Empires games. Uh, I even played this more than Age of Empires 3, which I'm a huge fan of. But um, the the god powers that you can get, like when you can send bolts of lightning from Zeus down on on something i mean it it adds a whole other levels of strategy to this oh it's so exciting to send a meteor shower into the town center of your enemies it it creates a it creates a real like because i mean that's the beauty of having like mythological characters and having like gods in it is because anything could happen you know like at, at any moment and and suddenly your guy could just get wiped out or, you know, and, and you're done. Or you come up against like a centaur you have to battle. Right, right. <laughs> or a minotaur. Yeah. Or, or um, what, the Anubis. Yep, there's Anubis guards. Uh, Yeah, or you have, oh, yeah, there's all kinds of creatures. It's, it's Krakens really, come yep. up to the shore. You have to fend them off from I, attacking your docks. I love it. I love it. I mean, Age of Empires 2 is great. And it's easily one of the greatest games ever made. I, I, I wouldn't argue against that. 
But I think this adds a lot of stuff into the mixture that just makes it infinitely replayable and so much fun. And I really can't wait to get involved in, in multiplayer uh, with you. And I, I'd say the same 10 out of 10. I mean, it, it's, it's a perfect game. Everything about it, the music. I mean, every every level of production is the right moves. Um, I love the music in it. I listen to the soundtrack actually pretty often. Um, Storylines are genuinely. I I don't think I can't even think of a game of games outside of perhaps Wing Commander. Well, there are games with great stories, but it's just shocking how good of a story this has as an RTS. It really is surprising. Um. So yeah, I mean, you, you definitely recommend people play this. What, what do you choose? Would you rather do Age of Empires 2 or Age of Mythology? Which do you think you have one you like better? Oh, I don't know. That's such a tough question. Yeah. Um, I honestly, like, I haven't had that many hours of game time with Age of Mythology. That's because, oh, I was going to bring this up earlier. We had to stop ourselves, like, because we were playing this, I mean, for hours on end, pretty nonstop. Um, and we kind of had to say, like, okay, we got to get you done, right? Right. You know, <laughs> it was, go, go ahead. Yeah, that's true. It's just, I've also been playing Age of Empires for years. You right, know? right. Um, and this I've only had access to for like a month. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, so. So, so it's hard for me to say. I mean, I, I definitely feel like I'm better at Age of Empires than I am at Age of Mythology, but that's quickly changing. Yeah, yeah, fair. <laughs> Well, the more I learn about it, uh, the, the better I, the more confident I feel with it. Um, and it's, it, it really is, if I'm being honest, it's so much more beautiful just in general mm-hmm. than Age of Empires. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I, I would agree with that. I mean, just the, the flourish that the game has, I mean, and I get it. Age of Empires 2 is trying to be very realistic, you yeah, know, in what yeah. they present. Um, but that classical stuff that they show off in Age of Mythology is so stunning. Um, you just, you can't help but want to look at the maps, you know, and everything going on. It, it's, it is really gorgeous. Well, okay. 10 out of 10 age of mythology. There you go, folks. There's a little gaming grid for you. Um, <laughs> I don't know if we'll get to, well, anyway, I'll get to other games to review and, and other things going on. I mean, there's crazy stuff going on to talk about in the future, but uh, Ellen, I appreciate that. We'll be right back with some more sovereign tech. We need to talk up some other fun stuff for people to check out. We're going to try and do some rapid fire action before uh, see you on the blood red scenes we'll be right back with him hey baby i know i know you are tired of gmail you have had enough well i have a solution for you what i want you to do is you go to fastmail okay it's fastmail.sovereigntech.com that's the url you can use you're going to get a discount with that you are going to love this this is email for email's sake this company does nothing more just email and they do it right all the latest security technologies you want to log into your account with your YubiKey, you can do that fastmail has your hookup very inexpensive plans i want you to check it out you go to fastmail.sovereigntech.com that'll get you the hookup and it's an honor to have them as a part of Sovereign Tech. Woo! Let's get back to the show. The Golden Stallion doing whatever he wants to do. The Climax. It is time for the Climax where we get to talk about whatever we want to talk about. And you know, I mean, we're basically for dinner, you and I, 
we sit down. You know, you you often make an amazing dinner, Ellen. Dinner like, is an event. It, it, you you make it an event. <laughs> it's a celebration. Yes, uh, <laughs> making it through another day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and you know, we work out for an hour, hour and a half, whatever. Most days, sometimes it's longer, and then we sit down for dinner. It's yeah. like it's time to relax from a crazy day. Well, after working out, we're starving, you know, and and yeah. I do. I love cooking. Um, I make lots of food. It's remarkable. Yeah, it's absolutely <laughs> remarkable. Yeah. So so when we have dinner, it it lasts a long time, long enough for us to watch an episode of Babylon Five, or sometimes even a movie. Sometimes a movie. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the, the meal. You know, I I feel like the medium needs to match the meal, and so we only watch the finest films. Uh, in the finest shows we'd never watch a dud ever (laughs) what 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 was the greatest movie ever um we watched it battlefield earth yes we didn't do that over dinner just no that's true we didn't didn't eat while we were watching that one oh i don't think we ever reviewed that (laughs) we'll have to watch it again no 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 we can't do that I'll listen to the audiobook a million times. The movie? No. Oh, anyway, okay. I, I know I know you're kidding. But Well, anyway, <laughs> we don't watch duds of movies because you are an excellent entertainer and have the greatest collection of Blu-rays. I mean, that's the thing is that I really will only buy the best. Um, but sometimes you'll watch movies that I usually feel are more of an acquired taste for myself. And, uh, and I, I do appreciate that, that you have the patience with them. But a lot of times you end up loving these movies. Uh, or at least yeah, enjoying at least having them. fun while yeah. watching them. That's gracious. It's like, you know, I'll, I'll watch it once. Sure. Right. All right. All right. So, so why don't I tell you what, why don't we rapid fire some of the movies that we, let's go through them. Some of the ones that we've watched lately, give a ranking, tell me what you think about it. How about that? Okay. Sounds good. All Can right. we do it in reverse order? Uh, where, where we talk about what we think about it and then give a ranking. Sure. Okay. Let's do that. Um, all right, so let let's start it off with start off with Blade. Blade. Yeah. Oh wow. Uh the vampire movie. I think we did a review of did that. Did we review that? Yeah. Okay, all right. Change. Demolition Man. Demolition Man. <laughs> We're still on. Yeah. Um that was a very fun and quirky movie. Mm-hmm. Um unique. Yeah, very uh different from the dystopian future that is typically depicted. Sure. Um, we have a cat know. invading the studio. <laughs> the captain know. is flying by. <laughs> <laughs> Sit down. Anyway, continue. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, it it put a comedic spin on uh, dystopia, and you know Stallone is Stallone. Yeah. It's very action packed. Yeah. Uh, you know the man of many muscles. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I I would give that movie. I I think I did give that movie like an eight out of ten. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I think that movie is very ahead of its time, uh, very perhaps prescient, um, a far better movie than it should have been. Which I I think we did review this on a previous show. Too. I don't know if we talked about Demolition Man, did we? I remember talking about the uh, the information kiosks. I think we brought it up because it's like relevant to what we were discussing, but possibly anyway. Okay. So eight out of 10 on demolition, man. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. with you on that. The bad guy was really good. Yeah. Wesley what, Snipes is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And Jesse Ventura was there too. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. All right, let's let's stick with Stallone. Judge Dredd. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that was amazing. I mean, that it really did feel like a comic book movie. Yeah, because uh, like the just the uniforms that the people were wearing was uh, it, they really like popped. You know, they were eccentric and colorful, um, and huge. Like everything was chunky and big. Right. Um. What a cool movie. I really enjoyed yeah, watching it. Yeah, it's cool, that. right? Like that yeah. I think that's the word for it because it has such a visual style. It does pop out at you. I do think that it's an it is a comic book movie made like the comic book. Very much, or it's very close to that. Uh there was I mean there was a uh, a remake done with um Carl Urban playing Dread playing judge dread which was also very good very different but very good um i yeah i i've loved this film for a very very long time and i think it does comic book movies much better than anything marvel has ever produced but go ahead give me your ranking or if you have other things you want to talk about with it i mean again i would give this one like an eight out of ten if eight if it wasn't for that one guy, what yeah, was his name? I know. Uh, he was, he was like Schneider. the George R. Binks of that movie. Yeah, Rob Schneider kills the film. Like, I mean, he he's just, his character doesn't fit. He's supposed to be comedic relief, but but Stallone is like so cool and so serious. And the Armand Asante is great. The film is dark. Yeah. I mean, there are like horrible things going on. The, mm -hmm. They live in this like, disgusting city that's like a hundred stories tall um and and he's just making jokes about everything and acting like a total wuss i i don't Ooh, know i don't yeah. know how else to say no that. i don't know but he's like screaming the entire time all the action sequences he's like ah and yeah. just hiding no he, he he kills the film he, he i mean fortunately all the other elements are so great that you can kind of get past it. Yeah, yeah. But he keeps it from being a really good movie. Yeah. Uh, it could have been like Batman. Good. Right. Yeah. I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. Yes. Um, yeah. So, so what, do you, what, what was the score again? Eight. I knew you'd say that. No. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd say that. I knew you'd say that. <laughs> Watch the movie and you'll get it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'd go with an 8 out of 10 as well. Uh, I, I Again, I really love this movie. Rob Schneider is the weak point that keeps it from kissing a 9, I think. I, I, really, I think the writing's great. The actors are awesome. I mean, yes. you've got Max von Sydow and Jürgen Proch now working together again since Dune. Uh, I mean, there's so much great stuff happening in it. And the soundtrack, holy shit, is that a great score. Uh, yeah, and I mean, the... the, the, uh, the not the lawgiver, the lawmaster, the motors, the flying yeah, motorcycles. Yeah. That sequence is, looks amazing today. It, it looks it absolutely is, amazing. It is. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Great film. Okay. All right. We want to go on to another one? Sure. We'll stick with Stallone. Cobra. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. I mean, that that's just a typical Stallone film. It's it is. It's like all explosions and fighting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. Very good. I mean, he does have some funny moments, which I appreciate. But uh, yeah, it's just it was all about the the guns and and the shooting and Stallone being Stallone. Um, I thought it was fun. You know, it was very entertaining. I, I have no complaints about the movie. Right. Yeah. This is a movie I wish there there is a like 
over two. Originally, the movie was supposed to be over two hours. It's about an hour and a half now. There's a work print of that out there that has a lot of deleted scenes that explain more about what's going on in the film. I'd love to see that movie uh, yeah. or that version of the film because, like the the villains, like the gang. I'd love to know more about their motives. Right. They don't uh, explain that very much. No. And yeah. I know Stallone can be actually an amazing writer. Yeah. Um, l- Like he can go pretty deep with stories. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, the way they cut it, the whole film, it just, it felt like it was missing that soul and it yeah. just, it turned into just another action movie. There's brilliant little things in it. Like even things as simple as when he, he's having some pizza. And he cuts the pizza with scissors. Yeah. It's very it's, strange. It's like, wait, what? But, but it's enough to go like, okay, this guy's a little off his rocker. Mm-hmm. You know, it's such a great little visual cue. Um, yeah. I, I like this movie a lot. Uh, I don't know. What, did you give a rank? What, what do you give for a rank? Uh, I would give this one like a seven. Seven out of 10. Yeah. Or 7.5. Yeah. I mean, it's very fun. There's just, there's not a whole lot to the story. Yeah. You know, and it, Parts of it are very predictable, mm-hmm. you know, like he's the the action star. He's like the one off of the police force. Oh, it's terribly um, tropey. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And like there's this woman, the love interest where she's asking him, like, why don't you have a girlfriend? And he's like, well, I guess she'd have to be a little crazy, too. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and there yeah. she is, like putting a bunch of ketchup on her fries, like to the point where he's staring because it's a disgusting amount of ketchup. <laughs> And that's the indicator, like, oh, she's just crazy enough to be with the guy who cuts his pizza with scissors. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a movie that I, I'd give a similar ranking to, to what you said. It really, this is one of those movies, it's a shame we did not get more. Actually, it's this is true for almost every Stallone film, because other than Rocky and Rambo, and yes, I know, like, you have The Expendables and Escape, uh, Escape Plan and some other ones where he got sequels. A lot, a lot of the movies that should have had sequels that would have really worked never got sequels. And and it's a shame. And this is one of them. Cobra is one where I think Cobra 2 could have been pretty, pretty badass and pretty funny. Um, I think the same could be true for Demolition Man, even though supposedly one is getting made. Um, Judge Dredd. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Give me a sequel to that. Um, now, the next one. OK, we'll do one more Stallone film. This one should have had an, just a butt ton of sequels. And I'm not kidding. It really should have. Tango and Cash. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is a, a buddy cop movie. I get it. I mean, Cobra is somewhat of a buddy cop movie as well. Um, but a buddy cop movie, it's Stallone and Kurt Russell. How can you go wrong with that? Yeah. It it was such a fun movie. Yeah. And I... Like, I, I'm okay with buddy cop movies, but this was above and beyond any of my expectations. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was not predictable. It was actually full of twists and turns. Right. Um, there were some, like, really scary moments, some very sad moments. Yeah. Uh, there were some funny, like, just dropped it hilarious moments. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I loved it. I Honestly, I would give that one closer to a nine. Yeah. Out no, of ten. I, oh, thank you. Yes. Because I've loved this movie for so long. I mean, since I was like a little kid. I, I mean, I thought this movie was the SUV from hell. The the movie just goes to another level during the last half hour when they're like right. breaking into the, the complex. 
it's like it's a totally different movie I mean, because it goes from like you know they're just like cops they've been framed they're trying to escape prison suddenly mm. they've got these badass weapons and this amazing vehicle that's like a tank with yeah. with all these guns pointing <laughs> it, it's it's just and and they go blow shit up yeah i mean and your villain is jack palance who you, is such a great villain <laughs> you don't even i mean here's the thing when you get a guy like jack palance you don't have to explain the character at all there's no need to explain the character you're just like oh that guy you know, and, and, and you just listen to him talking. Yeah, he's a bad guy. Oh, he's got such personality. It's amazing. You can just hear it in his voice. Yeah, I, I love it. I love it. He, you you instantly buy him. Um, you even get Gold Ducat who's in the movie. Um, <laughs> Which, funny enough, Andrew Robinson, who was Garrick. Oh, he yeah. Was, he was, was in Cobra. In Cobra. <laughs> no shit. What's with Stallone working with these bloody Cardies? Working with the Cardassians. <laughs> the bloody Cardies can't be trusted. Oh, that's terrible. You, say. <laughs> you that sound is, like a Bajoran terrorist. Yeah, right. That is so funny. I had to, you know, I mean, I kind of want to think about this more and I wonder who else showed up. And I bet there's some other Cardassians in Stallone films. That, that Cardassians is, or Star Trek characters? Well, I mean, but this is two Cardassians. That's pretty specific. Um, but I mean, I imagine there's other. Anyway, I'm sure if I thought about you it, you said there other were actors. like uh, there was a guy who played a Klingon. Uh, oh no, no, that was that in was another a, movie okay, that we're sorry. gonna get to. That's all right. Yeah. Very recent movie. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That we just watched the other night. Uh, the Tango and Cash we just watched the other night too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is a movie. Very troubled production. Went through three directors. Uh, it really. I mean, uh, other than in America, and this just proves how little taste America has. Outside of America, this movie is massive. This movie is like, yeah, we love Tango and Cash. Like, everybody fucking loves that movie. Um, there are a lot of, admittedly, there are a lot of actors in this that were in Blade Runner. That's an interesting thing to bring up. But regardless, yeah, this this is just one of the ultimate buddy cop movies. I mean, you're right. It's so much fun. The score from Harold Faltermeyer is fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I, I love this movie. It's hilarious. Terry Hatcher is tremendous. Um, it, it, it's a great film uh, you, and you get a very young Terry Hatcher. Like this is pre Lois Lane, um, which I have always argued. She's probably the best Lois Lane that, that there'll ever be. Um, yeah. Great film. I I'd give it an eight or a nine even I, cause I really love this movie a lot. Uh, people don't give it a chance and they don't just like enjoy it. And it, it speaks to the idea that I think when people, if they go back to some of these films, they're going to realize how shitty movies are today. And suddenly something that was considered shitty in 1989 is now a masterpiece because it's real or it feels more real, more legit. Um, interestingly, Tango and Cash is actually the literal last movie of the 1980s. Um, and I think it, it shows. I think it shows like it is that 1980s bombast. And uh, we never really got anything quite like it again. So anyway, I, I love that movie. Um, all right. Want to move on to another one? Sure. All right, let's try to do a couple more. Let's let's stick with Buddy Cop. <laughs> okay. Cuffs. Oh man. So the score for Cuffs. Yeah, after another Harold Faltermeyer score. Yeah, go ahead. Yep. It was stuck in my head all night. I know. <laughs> like man. I just kept humming it. it. I would catch myself doing it and be like, "Stop that!" <laughs> but it it's so catchy. The soundtrack's great. Yeah. For, 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 for cops. Now this is a Christian Slater vehicle who was white hot at the time. And I think 1992 when this came out, 
Um, he plays, I mean, this is an ANCAP's dream of a movie because it has to do with a private police force. So you see, it's okay. As long as the police force is private, you can shoot people um, in, in, in ANCAP world. I'm kidding, but <laughs> <laughs> I think in some people's minds, that's true. yes. Yeah. As long as it's private, it's fine. And you're paying for it. As long as you're paying for the privilege of getting shot uh, voluntarily, then it's all right. So no. anyway. <laughs> well, anyway. I, so um, in Tango and Cash, like uh-huh. they really had clever, funny lines. Mm-hmm. I think Cuffs was trying to be clever and funny, like in a different sort of way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It it was good. I I definitely was interested in watching the film yep. and had fun the entire time. Um and also I was introduced there to a, a character that is actually a major character in Babylon 5. Bruce Boxleitner's in this movie. Yes, Tron himself is in the film uh, or Captain Sheridan if you're a B5 fan. Continue. Yeah. Yeah, it just it starts out really heart-wrenching the movie mm-hmm. does and I think they're like trying to make you not like the main character uh but then over time it like nobody likes him actually in the beginning (laughs) everybody wants him to leave they don't want him to like take charge of the police force right um but but he really does like use some unconventional approaches and uh gains the respect of his new clients and Mm -hmm. and eventually the police force um and you know he plays a little fast and loose at times but that's what makes him successful uh, yeah. So, so it was fun in that way. I love how he breaks the fourth wall constantly and talks does, to the, yeah. the audience constantly. I think it does that in such a clever way. It's, it's not unique in that, but it's the delivery just feels unique. Um, it's also Mila Jovovich's, I think it's, or might be her first film or one of her first films. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I've watched this movie since I was a little guy. And, uh, and I always, I always thought it just, it's another one that had somewhat of that cool factor. Um, it didn't hurt that Tron was in it, like the character of Tron, right. you know, like that, that just blew my mind. Um, <laughs> you so, told me that as soon as you saw him on screen, you you yelled Tron. Yeah. Yeah. My mother, like wondering what the hell is going on. I mean, I was, I was very young, but I just couldn't believe that I like, there was Tron, you know, and because <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, Tron's something we haven't gotten to Tron yet, but we're going to get to that at some point. We haven't watched it yet. Um, yeah. Anyway, I could tell that story at some point, but um, so yeah, so cuffs. I, yeah. I, I like that movie a lot. It, it really, I mean, it has kind of everything going for it. It definitely feels very nineties. There's no doubt about that now. Um, but, but I, I think it works for what it is and, and what I meant by private police force in it, like basically, and, and at some point in, in San Francisco's history, this is actually possible or in California's history, where you could hire a, and actually this is possible elsewhere too, where you could hire an independent patrol force uh, that was not the police, you know? And, and so that's what's going on in this movie. And anyway, we'll leave it at that. What do you give this as far as a ranking? Uh, this is another movie where I'd give it like a 7.5. 7.5. Yeah. I, I love how high all this is. This is yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm very generous with my ratings. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if I was being really critical, I could go lower, but I would not consider going higher. Um, It's an action movie and it's got some good moments, but Mm -hmm. the story's pretty basic. Yeah. I I would go with the seven, seven, five as well. Uh, I find myself not liking it as much now as I know I did when I was younger. Like I love the shit out of this movie when I was younger. 
so that, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Want to go to another film? Let's do it. Okay. Let's, all right, we'll get away from the buddy cop. No more buddy cop. All right, thanks. Uh, don't get the wrong impression. We don't actually, like, support cops. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> just, just their movies. This is just cinema, folks. <laughs> if anything, it makes them all look bad. I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So, all right, we'll go there. This is going to be the best of the bunch. I know it's going to get the highest rating. Oh, my gosh, what is it? I'm waiting with bated breath. No holds barred. Oh! <laughs> 1989. No holds Life barred. Life gets hard when, when there's when, when it's no, no holds, holds barred. barred. That's right. This is uh, starring none other than Hulk Hogan, <laughs> the Hulkster. The Hulkster. Uh, before he was Hollywood Hulk Hogan, this is his first like real Hollywood role or starring role. Anyway, he would go on to do such classics, of course, as uh, uh, Suburban Commando, uh, <laughs> three, three Three Ninjas Kickback. Uh, Mr. Nanny, I think it was Mr. Nanny. I could get, and I'm, I'm not looking at anything, folks. I know this shit, okay? <laughs> I can't wait to see these. I don't own any of them because it's a miracle if you can even find them. You said uh, they're classics. <laughs> I, I did like, I remember really liking Suburban Commando. And of course, he would go on to be on TV and do uh, Thunder in Paradise, which is a very interesting show about a super boat. But uh, I'm, I'm all, I love any show with a super vehicle, I am fucking there. Uh, but anyway, okay, so No Holds Barred, he plays the wrestler Rip Taylor, who is basically Hulk Hogan, you know, just with a different name in, in the film. Uh, and he has to take on this character of Zeus. And it, so it's a wrestling movie, you know, that, that meets a, and it's from a time when wrestling was still thought to be largely real, or at least people still kind of had that, that possibility existed. Vince McMahon had yet to come out and admit that, guess what? It's sports entertainment. It's all fake. Uh, or it's all staged, I should say. Fake is the wrong word. Um, tell me about this film. I mean, what do you, what do you think? <laughs> well, um, the character of Rip himself is, mm -hmm. uh, well, like, it's very clear that it's Hulk. Uh, they try to make him seem like such a nice guy. Yeah, very and sensitive. He's, he's so uh, he's educated uh -huh. and intelligent. And soft spoken, right? Um, but when he gets in the ring, he's a monster. <laughs> yeah, it makes monster noises. Yeah, you know, the whole thing. Right, yeah, right. Um, also, this film is really interesting because it put it, it paints uh, like the executives of these television networks as like really horrible psycho people. Um, like the main villain in this movie. Uh, he takes some people, and, and this is actually like part of uh, one of the major plot devices in this film. He's looking for, like, he tries to get Rip to sign on to his network, but Rip isn't interested. Right. Uh, so he's like, decides to get vengeance by starting up a, a competing sports entertainment Battle show. of the tough guys. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And he goes to a local bar, and he's watching these... <laughs> um, I, I don't know what to call them besides like Just brawlers backwoods brawlers. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're a bunch of like country drunkards. Uh, it, they're all like just fighting each other mm -hmm. with no rules in the middle of this bar. <laughs> and, um, part of what makes it so amazing is the crowd of people that's around. Uh, and that's really what the exec wanted in the show too. Like he didn't just want the wrestlers. He wanted 
like the the that hillbillies. Element. Yeah. Yeah, the drunken hillbillies. Right. <laughs> like one of his his uh associates says to him like, "But these people would cheer at a hanging." And he's like, "Exactly." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I and I think this all of this is on purpose. Obviously, it's a film, but I think Vince McMahon, who was very much involved in the development of this, wanted that message of that TV execs are fucking heinous and probably had a lot to do with what he had to go through just to get some of his product on air. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I, I, I think this movie has a, has a slightly deeper level, not too deep, but a slightly deeper level that is trying to say something. Um, yeah, there are some strange events in the movie. Like, there's this woman that gets repeatedly abused, attacked. Uh, there's even, like, a rape event. Yes, right. Um, and Rip, I almost called him Hulk. Rip is always there to, like, save her. Yeah. Um, and basically, she's, like, being used to... Uh, seduce Rip. Yeah, seduce him, or uh, she's being used to, like, lure him. Mm-hmm. To get uh, him to sign. Or convince him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of horrifying, but I feel like you mentioned this and, and it got me thinking like, maybe there's some truth to that. Oh yeah, sure. Sure. Um, I mean the wrestling industry itself has a lot of, uh, darker circles, shall we say, um, there are darker elements to it, but you know, TV dealing with TV execs and everything. I mean, that's a whole other beast. Entertainment in general. Yeah. Yeah, and I think Vince McMahon has a lot of lot of stories around that, and I think he was kind of getting to put some of that on display uh, with with this movie. Um, Hulk Hogan was obviously one of the biggest names, just names in the world, regardless of industry at the time in 1989. It was clearly a vehicle for him. It was a natural progression. This has happened often with wrestlers, The Rock, uh, even John Cena, and some others. Even though you know they might not have t- taken off the same way. Uh, but like Batista, Batista, of course, is a major actor now getting in some of the biggest films in the world. Um, so it's a progression that happens. Hulk Hogan, very much. I mean, there were people before him, but he very much paved the way, I think, for it to be taken a, a little more seriously. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's especially if you're any kind of a wrestling fan, I still think it's a very entertaining film. It's a product of its time, but I, but I, I think it's it's fun. It's over the top. It's, uh, it's ridiculous. It might even be too cheesy. Yeah. Like after we finished watching it, um, I said, like, if, if you told me that this movie was written for an audience that was 13 years old, Mm -hmm. I would believe it. Yeah. Because it is that like cheesy and over the top. Yeah. And some parts of it are like ridiculous. Right. I mean, it was a great way admittedly to have Hulk Hogan on home video. Uh, which was not something you could take for granted in 1989 or, you know, in 1990. And if you're a huge fan of Hulk Hogan, I was, um, you'd you'd be all over this because he does all the Hogan stuff. Yeah, the wrestling sequences are great. Right. It's just like you're watching, uh, you know, WWE. Yeah, I mean, the movie even opens up with Mean Gene Okerlund and Jesse the Body Ventura, you know, talking to each other, uh, you know, on the side of the ring and or at ringside. And. Yeah, I mean, there's, it's got a point. I, I got to say, I mean, if I watched, if I didn't watch this when I was young and I just kind of watched it now, I don't know how I'd color it. You know, I don't know how exactly I'd feel about it. But as it stands, Hulk Hogan was just such a force 
back then, uh, you can't help but be magnetized to the screen. I think as ridiculous as, as he might be, uh, you know, just seeing somebody like that is, is just remarkable. You he know? really, he, he looks like a monster. Yeah. Yeah. He's a beast. And he, there's a joke at the beginning. Um, well, it's not a joke necessarily, but I think it's meant to be kind of funny. Uh, the studio exec, when he's first trying to convince Rip to sign on, he invites mm-hmm. him into his office and he's got these two chairs. So they're like Louis the 14th or something. Oh, yeah. And he dusts them off and he's like, they're made for great men. And Hulk sits in it and it creaks like it's going to yeah, break. Yeah, like it's going to break. Yeah. <laughs> but Hulk standing next to this guy, he he's literally great. He has so much mass. It's right. just And you have to be amazed like the studio exec has the tenacity to speak to rip rudely and then rip just like grabs him and shoves his check down his throat (laughs) and and you wonder why he just didn't do that in the first place because he could have at any point in time he could smash this guy yes he doesn't yeah see that that i feel like that might be I, again, I really feel like there are some messages that are trying to get parlayed with this film. Like the idea that, you know, what you think is great and powerful is not, you know, because like Rip has a lot of elements, like his word is his bond. Uh, you know, what he says he's going to do, like what matters to him is his charity work. Like, and these are things you could say are cliche, fine, but it is designed to stand in contrast to the money men you know, and, yeah. and, and whatever, like be it Louis the 14th or the television exec. And, and so I, I, yeah, I think there's something trying to be told there. I'm not saying it does a good job of it. Okay. You might have to watch it a hundred times. Like I have to finally get it, but I think there is something trying to be done in, in that film. Um, the Blu-ray itself is incredibly bare bones, has a couple of great matches or interesting matches. I wouldn't call them great, but it has a couple <laughs> of interesting matches when Zeus, the villain in the movie, actually, who's played by Tiny Tim Lister, who you mentioned earlier that there was a person who was in Star Trek. He played um, uh, Klang. Yeah, the, in, the Klingon. Yeah, the Klingon in uh, that they're taking to, to Kronos. In, in Enterprise. In Broken Bow in the first episode of Enterprise. Yeah. Um, He's been in a bunch of other movies. Fifth Element, he played the president and whatever. He's just this huge, you know, dude. Uh, anyway, he was he he wrestled for a little bit in '89. I don't know if they get turned out very well, but he he went for it. Certainly an impressive, you know, big guy. Um, we watched the matches as well. Those were kind of interesting to see. Yeah, a time capsule. Yeah. yeah. So all right, well, well, so what would you rank this film? Oh gosh. Um. Well, since you add in the fact that like. You know, it is presenting like a, a contrast of values. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you can be great if you pursue money and power, or if you pursue personal power by like strength training, or yeah, uh, even doing the charity and um, actually being a kind person and getting right. people to like you. Um, you know that that is another interesting element, and it makes me feel better about this movie. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I, I guess I would. Hmm. I guess I would give it a seven. Seven. Seven out of ten. I'm trying to. That's very it, gracious. I'm trying to be gracious. You the, are being the gracious. The acting is rough. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it was just so full of laughs that 
I have to give it a seven. I love it. All right. I'll do the same. I'll match it. So I haven't disagreed with you on any of the rankings, uh, which is great. You can if you want to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no. I mean, and I would have the only thing if you said I wouldn't have been surprised if you said like five or six out of ten. Yeah. I Then I would have said a seven. You know? I think maybe I, there was a movie we watched recently that we get, that I gave a five. And I wonder if it was that one. But now that I've had time to absorb it a little more, um, I, I do like it a little better. I think you gave it a five. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, we need to wrap this up. But we love wrestling so much. That's true. Us, you know, that's true. We are fans. That's I mean, the wrestling matches at the end kind of gave it a little extra, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is pretty awesome action at that point. Um, OK, we need to wrap this up. All I want is a ranking, though, because I want to tease this. Oh, OK. Give me a ranking for Dark City. Oh, <laughs> I mean, this whole time I've been having you give the ranking first. I'll give, I'll, I'll do, I'll go first on this one. Yeah. Yeah. You go 10 first. out of 10 instantaneous 10 out of 10. I think the, the movie's amazing. Yeah. I, I can't argue with you on that. Dark city. There we go. We saw the director's cut. We got, I guess we got to be particular on that. 10 out of 10. Yeah. 10 out of 10. All right. That is a story for another time. So, <laughs> so anyway. I can't believe we haven't talked about that yet. I know we need to Brazil. We'll do a double header because they're, 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 they're films of a, of a type. They're both huge films. Yeah. Brazil and dark city. We'll, we'll cover both of those. Maybe next time you're on. Um, how about that? Sounds good. Okay. All right. So we're going to wrap this baby up. Uh, Ellen, thank you so much for being on. Thanks for always, having me on. And, and such fascinating stuff to, to discuss. Uh, all across the board we'll be following up on some of these stories certainly we're going to have you on again hell it might even be next time we'll see (laughs) (laughs) so anyway anyway. all right that's it uh we need to uh we can go you know do our thing so (laughs) we will see all of you on the other side Thank you for listening to Sovereign Tech, an Osiris One production. Now go out there and make some trouble. <laughs>